Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, hi, and welcome. I am your host, Emma Gunnar-Wardner, and in my nearly 20-year career as a beauty and health writer, I have interviewed a lot of people, supermodels, entrepreneurs, authors, celebrities, and doctors, and many of these conversations had a real impact on me, and I'd come away feeling inspired, excited, informed, and really empowered, and at the back of my mind, I'd always think, I wish I could just publish the tape so people could really feel that conversation. Well, on this podcast, you get to feel the conversation. I talk with experts, guests, and a few friends who I hope will inspire, inform, and empower you, and maybe also challenge you, whether you're looking for self-help, self-improvement, beauty advice, health insights, business know-how, or just some good old-fashioned life advice and a bit of a laugh. It's all here. Welcome to the show. What can I say about my amazing guest, Inga van Lotteringen? I've known Inga for nearly 20 years. We met on the beauty circuit as beauty editors working on glossy magazines and we bonded on trips away together and just generally from being at the same events and places at the same time. So we've shared many a taxi together, we've sat next to each other on aeroplanes and it's always been delightful and a real pleasure. And Inga's a really smart journalist, a beauty journalist, and she's very pragmatic and a very kind human being. And she genuinely is one of those people that if you said her name to anyone in the beauty industry, they would immediately smile and say what a brilliant person she is and how much they love her because that's just that's just the reputation she has in the business. So it's very exciting for me to commit her to audio for the very first time for her very first podcast interview. Actually, it's not an interview, it's a conversation. What am I saying? Um, Inga recently left her role as beauty director at Cosmopolitan magazine where she worked for 14 years and is experiencing a few thoughts and feelings around that which we go into detail in in the podcast but going freelance and striking out on one's own in your 40s especially when you've been in a job for such a long time is a big change and I really love her perspective and how rational she is about it because let's face it it is a whole new world but that really is Inga's way she is very pragmatic and just realistic and no nonsense and that's what makes her brilliant so my most excellent listeners I knew when I said to Inga let's get you on tape that we would talk about the beauty industry and that we would discuss fitness because of um, many of our bonding moments were actually in hotel gyms on press trips because for a while we were always the two that would get up early and go and work out in the gym and I knew we would discuss um, going to the gym, keeping fit and why it's important to both of us but particularly for her she's recently written a brilliant piece about why running is so 
um, helpful and therapeutic for her, which I'll put the link in the show notes to. But we, I also knew that we would definitely discuss the musical artist that Inga has a long, colourful and brilliant history with. And I'm deliberately not saying who it is. Anyone who's listening who knows Inga will know, will know who it is. But for all of you who don't, I'm deliberately not saying because I feel as though it's it's a spoiler and best left for you to discover like a treasure chest full of beautiful jewels when we get to it on the podcast. Because this is a story about being a fan, but also it's really inspiring. It's not just about being a fan. It's about setting a goal, reaching it and how that actually being very realistic about it, set a real framework for Inga, knowing that, well, if I can set my mind to that and achieve that, then I can do anything, which I think is actually really powerful. And it is via the story of how she met a very, very famous musician. But there we go. We, we do get to it towards the end. Um, but in and amongst all of this, we talk about so much more. We talk about ego, uh, work ethic. Where does work ethic come from and knowing how to approach a job that there is no blueprint for success for? And I've said this before about beauty. Um, No one really sort of shows you, oh, there's a course in this and this is how you become a beauty editor or however it is. So we talk about that. We talk about gathering information to form your opinion rather than parroting someone else's. Social media gets a pretty hard time during that part of the show. Why seeing the world in black and white can be limiting and how there's something quite helpful about seeing life, the world in shades of grey. Inga also talks about mentoring and how she spots someone who could be nurtured and empowered to really develop and reach their full potential. And it's worth saying at this point that Inga actually hired an award-winning beauty team. She hired um, a group of really talented journalists who have gone on to win awards for the fact that they are such a brilliant beauty team. So she knows what she's talking about. But I think her insight is useful regardless of your job, vocation or role. You don't have to be a beauty editor or an aspiring beauty writer in order to get something out of the way that she looks at it, I think. And we also talk about constructive criticism, both giving and receiving it, and why it can be so easy to think someone's critique is putting you down when in fact it's far more empowering to view it as an opportunity to learn. Considering I feel like I've had many deep and meaningfuls with Inga over the years, I have to say that I found this conversation really enlightening and interesting. And it did make me wish I had worked with her more closely, actually in a professional capacity, properly working with her as opposed to just um, being a mate on the circuit, because I wish I had absorbed some of her philosophies and insights a lot sooner, but I am glad I know them now. Please do also enjoy the cameo of Grumpy Cat, who is legitimately terrifying, but again... I'll let you I'll let you discover that when we get to it in the show. I will, of course, put all the links to Inga in the show notes because she is well worth following, especially on Instagram where she is at the OG Beauty Boss. But without any further ado, I'm delighted to welcome Inga Van Lottringen. Van Lottringen. Goodness me, I knew I'd balls it up. Sorry, Inga. But it's Inga Van Lottringen. And I'm Emma Gunnar Wardner, so I know the pain. I feel the pain of uh, mispronounced surnames, so apologies, Inga. But I'm very excited to welcome Inga onto the, onto the Emma Gunn Show. So this conversation is going on tape with my lovely friend Inga. Hello. Hello, Emma. <laughs> this is really natural. I'm going to get used to this. Okay, yeah. It is natural. No, it is. We're in your office. Yeah. And this is your first podcast, isn't it? I've never done any. Well, actually, I've tried to do something with a friend of mine. But anyway, that's what? a whole different story. Yeah, I'll, t- <laughs> I'll tell you about that. But yeah, no, I've never spoken to anybody like you. Ever. Um, and we're ch- you are one of my beauty buddies, my yeah. beauty friends. And actually, I was thinking back. Um, I probably started out in the industry nearly 20 years ago. Yeah. So how long have you, you been 22, on? so it would have been roughly, roughly at the same time. And I don't know when we met. 
was a bit later than that. No, I remember distinctly (laughs) meeting you. And it was at Grosvenor Street. It was at, oh my God, you've got an old orange iMac. Oh my God. I know, we almost threw it away two weeks ago and then we decided we couldn't. No, you can't. You mustn't. Um, sorry, listeners. I'm just looking around the office. Um, I remember distinctly meeting you for the first time. It was at Grosvenor Street at the Estee Lauder offices for a clinique launch. Yeah. And they had done out one of the rooms, surprisingly, with like white minimalist, what, what have you. Yeah. And I sort of snuck in at the end late and I remember you, and I remember seeing you and thinking, you were just this beautiful, like <laughs> gorgeous. Cause you had, you, your hair was really long and sort of all one length, but you had like a little bit of a bumpy beehive situation at the back. No, you just had a volume at the back, not, not a bumpy beehive. And you had this beautiful fringe and you looked like you were a model. And I think, no, no. and after the fact, I think I said to somebody, who's that? And they, and I said, is she a model? And, but you have been on the cover of a magazine. No, I hadn't. No, I have not been. I'm the most <laughs> unphotogenic person in the world. Poppycock. <laughs> yeah, no, I am. But anyway, that's a, yeah. No, I, I, because I, I know I knew you. I, I just remember our trip to to Italy mm. together. But by that time, I, I, I'd known you for a long time. Yeah. Um, but you were always slightly because you were with Hello Magazine, so you were the in other slightly one. different sphere. So the other I one. saw you coming in. <laughs> okay. Oh, okay, magazine. Oh, God, sorry, sorry. People still, always apologize. See, I'm like, it's so I long still, ago. after all these years, I still haven't worked <laughs> it out. Fine, yes. But you were in a sl- you were in that sphere. So you came in and out a mm. bit. Uh, but yeah, then we then we were on our two treadmills in a in an ancient well, house in, in Italy. And this probably um <laughs> that that house is amazing. Yeah. But this probably is I remember, yes, getting to know you on aeroplanes. Yeah. <laughs> Our lives. Like, kind I know, of over it's, now, but it's yeah. ridi- well, well we'll come on to that. But it is ridiculous. Like in the heyday of being a beauty editor. Yeah. I mean I never had as many trips as because you've always been on monthly glosses. So I've never been on as many trips. Yeah. Um, but it was a whirlwind of traveling to places to have immersive experiences yeah. in a skincare brand or to meet a founder or interview a celebrity ambassador. Yeah. They, they weren't called that immersive experience in the beginning. <laughs> they were just trips Jollies. that we did. Uh, yeah. And I, I still never, I, you always feel like you have to apologize for it. And I certainly in the, you know, near, in, in later years, you had to apologize for it to your, to your bosses as well. Mm. And in a way, yeah, we are spoiled brats. But those trips brought us a lot, I think. And mm. I think they brought brands a lot. You, you, you. You just really got to know the kind of DNA of a brand. You got mm. to know the passion of brand owners and mm. and uh, you know brand managers. Because um, sometimes we look at brands and like, oh, they're just massive multinationals. But you, but you kind of learn that every <coughs> yeah, bless you, every brand starts with a passion mm. and and is so full of people who are trying to really create something. And and you know it always. I always came back from those trips with with kind of more respect and obviously more insight. Mm. So I always think, much as we were spoiled, mm. there was a real point to it. And I used to learn, I used to learn a lot. Mm. And we used to learn a lot about each other. The best thing about all that was that we were a traveling circus, mm. um, all of us. You know, it was always, you know, in, in different permutations, we all hung out together together. Um, and it made us, yeah, I think it made us a really, and it still is, it made us a really kind of supportive industry and, and a, a group that kind of shares information and learns from each other. And as you, you're, you're friends with a lot of a lot of your colleagues. Mm. And I feel like I'm friends with a lot of my colleagues, but, you know, there's always been a, a work 
a work friendly you know relationship between oh, all of us totally yeah. totally but those those trips are where you would form them because it wasn't just a high buy at a no. hotel launch so when you weren't traveling you were at a five-star hotel yeah, having breakfast <laughs> yeah meeting a perfume yeah. but I remember on that because <laughs> it's true hi but I agree with you I I think in the early days because I came from local newspapers yeah. and I went from quite literally doing the I my role at the newspaper I worked at before I worked on the magazine one of the roles was to make sure that every week the weekly newspaper the bin collection schedule was correct that's for the following week I love it yeah and so obviously bank holidays it was quite a treacherous time you know there's a lot of jeopardy because boy if you got that wrong (laughs) and then the next and so my my diary was you know just there was nothing in my diary and then sort of two weeks later breakfast at Claridge's (laughs) and I I still have never really understand that I never really get my head around the posh breakfast nope no, I, I guess it's an experience and you just, I, yeah, it is creating a bubble mm. of joy, you know, yeah. and it, and I guess beauty is quite a joyful experience. Maybe that is why they do it. I don't know. It's, it's, it is what it is, isn't it? Yeah. And it's a bit silly. Um, but, you know, it's what you make it. Mm. You can just sit there and, and not have a conversation and just go, yeah, thanks for the free breakfast and go. <laughs> or you can squeeze people for all that they're worth in terms mm. of information and stories which you need and actually i think that's a really lovely thing about the industry i mean you talk about sort of the intimacy of the fact that we Mm. all travel together and everything but actually the information sharing Mm. and it's a real lesson i think in you do sometimes get to sit in front of somebody who you probably wouldn't get to sit in front of in your normal life and it's it is a case of right it's that maya angelou thing isn't it okay well Mm. this might on the surface be feel a bit awkward like Mm. this out of my social comfort zone but actually, how do I make this person feel good when they leave me? And what can I share with them yeah. and what can I learn from them? Yeah. Yeah. And it's confronting yourself. And this is one of my great sadnesses now in the industry. Um, at some point um, at my, my job, somebody was actually saying, we get our information for our for our stories off the Internet. That, mm. that went round on an email. And I was like, oh, my God. I try not you can, to swear. You can if okay, you feel the need. I swear a lot and I really mustn't. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, oh my God, this is where it's come to now. You know, mm. how are we going to be um, publications of any interest if we're not out there trying to find out what we don't know yet? Mm. It's now become about feeding people what they already know mm-hmm. and what they're telling us they want to know. But people never know what they want until mm. you give them something that that they might discover you mm. know that they need new stuff they need they need inspiration mm. and and we get to talk to people they would never get to talk to we would never get to talk to we weren't exposed to them mm. and also we need to go out and find people we would never talk to because mm. otherwise our brains don't expand and we cannot create stories that might be of interest to other people so um yeah that makes me really sad and and, and in the industry um you know, we're all bound to our desks these days, so we meet fewer people. Mm-hmm. I mean, even the breakfasts are being curtailed because, I mean, why would you go to a breakfast? You know, you can sit behind your desk and what? Do what? Repeat mm-hmm. what you've just read on the internet? <laughs> yes, indeed. That's what you're supposed to do these days. Um, 
And it's terrifying. And we have this discussion all the time. But it, it just, I, I don't know what to do about it. I can't stop it's, it. It's, it is frightening. And I think there are two things about that. The, the first one is the fact that where are we getting our information and where are we, where are we, where are we fact checking? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I think Farah, who's been on this podcast, said yeah. just because you read it twice on the Internet doesn't mean it comes from a place of truth or fact. And then the other one is that and I've and I always think of you when I talk to people about this. I left magazines eight years ago, print journalism eight years ago. And at the time, I was one of the ones who was ahead of the curve, if you like, because I was really working Twitter quite hard at the time. It was like the social media platform that was leading to things. And so I was quite active on it. And it was very much about what I was doing with my content. But I had the time to do that. Mm -hmm. And but primarily my role was to create those print pages that went in the magazine every Mm. week and ended up on the shelf. And I always say that it it was breaking my heart for my friends who were earning the same money, but had to not only create content for print, they now, in addition to all of that, were having to create um, clickable, um, monetizable editorial for online, plus manage one, two, three, potentially four social media platforms and get the exclusives and make sure that you had the story that was better than your competitor, which meant that your job was so much more involved. And there were literally, if it, if it was a work contract, yeah. the deliverables based on now versus eight, 10 years ago, yeah. it's 10 times the job, I it's think. It's 10 times the job. And you say it's more involved. And yes, it's more involved in that you have to work 10 times as hard. And it wasn't like we weren't working quite hard before that. But it's not involved because you're just skirting, you're just mm. skating on the on the surface of everything. Mm. You don't dig into anything. It's like bang, bang, bang. This will be good enough. That'll be good mm. enough. You deliver nothing. Um, sorry, you you maybe deliver some quick money, but you don't deliver any nourishment mm. to anybody. And I think you might enjoy your job and whatever, but in the end, you will start to feel quite empty because you're not creating. You know, most people went into this business if they're journalists at heart. They want to create, they are creatives mm-hmm. and they're talkers and they're information people and they want to find out about life and the mm-hmm. world. And you can't do that anymore. I'm doing badly. Yes. No, no, I'm just, just tilt the microphone oh, a bit towards I'll you. never be a singer. I'll never be a singer. <laughs> um, so it's, it's uh, to me, it's soul destroying what's happening. Mm-hmm. It's really soul destroying. And I, I just, I'm just waiting for it. To, I still say it's going to change once we've killed the entire industry. Uh, there will be nothing left. Then it will all start little grass shoots, little green shoots from the beginning. Mm. It will start again because people need nourishment. Like they Mm. need decent music. They don't need the same shit that I hear on the radio Mm. the whole time. Um, But, you know, nobody get it. Well, some people do, but, you know, there's not that chance anymore to develop, you know, with your second album Mm. or your third album (laughs) and slowly become a success. You remember what that was like. Yeah. Uh, It all has to be now. It all has to be monetizable straight away. And I don't think it it feeds quality. Gone are the days of going in the Billboard 100 at 97 and working your way up. You have to get. Wasn't it? You have to get in there at number one. Well, that just, what would you make? Bubble music, as Mm. I call it. So, I, I mean amongst our circle of pals mm. um, many of whom have already been on this podcast uh we talk privately about you know printers in decline yeah depending on who's in the room <laughs> we might but sugarcoat it, it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah um but obviously but how do you think it's going to the decline is obviously evident mm. so for for listeners who may be um, obviously, the cost of magazines have gone up, but circulation has gone down. So yeah. when I worked on a magazine, we were the one who was, um, if we had a particularly um, 
incredible cover it was a weekly and you would sell them a million a week yeah but you'd probably average around five hundred thousand. but that yeah. magazine i think is now selling under a hundred thousand a week yeah. yeah because there's just not the appetite for yeah. it and the same with um women's interest magazines yeah so what else do you think is going to signpost and where do you think it's going to get to before it does almost you know bank left and Re, is reborn or is I, I redefined? I literally now think it has to die, and which is a horrible thing to say. And I was the first one to say, "It's just gonna, it's just gonna get smaller and smaller uh, until there's that big turn that I'm waiting for." And and maybe I always said I'm gonna hang on, and maybe I'll just hang on until the turn happens. You mm. know, I really thought I would, and I didn't. I managed. You know, I didn't manage. I managed until last year, and then I didn't. Um, and it. I'm not saying it opened my eyes because I knew where it was headed, but I really thought if you protected a certain level of quality, then you could survive. And under Farah, who you mm. who you spoke about, we did. She turned, well, I'm Cosmopolitan, we haven't said that yet, but she turned that magazine around mm. by just, she's a kind of a journalistic beast and she just wanted sheer journalistic quality mm. and she put the magazine back on the map. Um, but still, and it was really quite successful for a while but still people in the end didn't want to pay for they mm. because they can get you know stuff on the internet not half as good they mm. they 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 balk at paying for journalism they want it mm. but in the I, I, I don't i don't know what the answer is this is why i'm saying the moment you take away that stuff wholesale that's when people will realise they mm. miss it and that's when they'll start paying for it again, mm. I think. Mm. Um, and so the papers are pushing that right now. I think the, I know the papers are suffering as well, but I don't think... I think they're seeing a turn for the better, maybe. I'm, I'm not sure. I, th I think they're the only places now where you can get some decent stories. Yeah, it's like if you, stories. if you wanted to be engaged on, for example, at the moment, I mean, you can't move, can you, for the Meghan Markle story? Yeah. And, everything around the Sussexes but you could feel informed just as you were saying that I was thinking god I could I really could feel like I was informed because I've just like read Piers Morgan's tweets or yeah because I've yeah you can have information and mm. you can have information bias you certainly yeah. can but that's another thing people are now so focused on hearing what they want to hear mm. that they forget that what they really need and if they really listen to themselves what they really wanted was kind of a, a, a sharing of opinions and a, and a well-balanced piece mm. so they can they can have a balanced view and then form their own proper opinion of something and that's what I'm afraid is is disappearing mm. there's just this superficial kind of tick box oh yeah oh yeah I, yeah I agree with that I'll stick with that opinion yeah. instead of just exposing yourself to other people's thinking and pulling it all together and mm. actually forming your own world view so it's it's I think it's just people being lazy right now mm. and they don't have time either. I mean, who has time to sit down and nourish themselves? But that doesn't mean they don't need it mm. and they won't miss it when it's gone. Mm. Um, so I think we're just letting it go because we're we're too lazy and we're, we're thinking mm. too superficially. We've got other things to do, uh, but it's slipping away and I think yeah. it's dangerous. We're all, it's, all, it's like a fast food buffet yeah. and at some point you, you're actually going to think, no, no. 
I want, you know, I don't know what a hearty meal would be, yeah. but I want a hearty. Yeah, I do. And I just, I just spent two weeks without my husband, who is my, who's my chef, because he loves to cook. Um, <laughs> he loves to cook, and he, he, that's his relaxation, and he, and he loves it. He feeds me, and, you know, when he's gone, I mm. eat cheese pancakes and and red peppers, <laughs> um, and I shouldn't because I need to look after myself. I at least I eat relatively healthy things, but. Um, I should look after myself, but I don't have time. So mm. again, I'm I'm letting that slip away mm. because I've got other things on my mind, and and so it's not because I, you know, because I'm an idiot. But we are too busy, so maybe mm. we are too busy to actually buy into some decent journalism. It's sensory <laughs> overload, and it's also. Yeah. It's also, and this is where I always had a challenge as a freelancer. And I told you this when yeah. we had coffee the other day. I didn't make it as a freelance journalist because I couldn't do it. I wasn't good at it. Right. I couldn't think of a, and I'm sort of projecting onto you now because I'd like you to tell me what the secret <laughs> is. But I would come up with an idea and then it was always very, I would always, the feedback would always be, mm, but we need this or we need the other yeah. or we need such and such. So maybe I'm, people like me are part of the problem because it's just quite a linear like whatever my story might be but how do you how do you create nourishing content particularly around beauty so for example yeah oh god yeah beauty is not the easiest subject to be serious about <laughs> if somebody wants to learn about hyaluronic acid for example yeah you could watch a couple of instagram videos yeah. and kind of get the bare bones mm. but that's never been your job as a beauty director what what has mm. been your mo in terms of creating content for your readers so that they understand products the industry ingredients better i've always tried to be because the industry will always seize on a certain product or a certain trend or a certain yeah mm. product or trend or type of product or ingredient and then talk it up to to the hilt um and 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 to make it easy for people, because because beauty can be a bit complicated, and you want to make it easy, they seize on one way of explaining this thing, and then everybody seizes on that mm. story. Everybody tells the same story, and my thing has always been: if everybody's telling the same story, there must be something else to it. And mm. I will, I will ask, and I always set that to my teams. You know, never ask one person, ask at least four and you will find that they all have a freaking different opinion right. about this thing that is perceived as being the one answer. Lots of experts have kind of different angles on it. Mm. And and it's your job to put the four angles together and come up with the distillation mm. of, of the truth and also, and also make sure that you never say, because nothing is ever black and white. And I think sometimes that's my downfall. I'm not very definitive in anything I say because I always think there's a way in between and I always mm. think there's a positive and a negative to, to anything. But I've, I've always wanted to go beyond the the standard story out there that everybody's mm. jumping on so I get I guess is that my mo I don't know I'm, I'm always asking more questions and I always find out there's something more to the story um uh yeah that that that's that's what I, I try to do I think that's brilliant because actually beauty features aside for people's opinions in life yeah never the same is an interesting way of looking at things. And you're right, I think we are forming tribes, particularly on social media. I keep yeah. coming to it because obviously I was on the train on the way here and I was, I got sort of sucked in. But we are definitely forming tribes of, yeah. I stand for this. Yeah. And there is a lot to be said mm. 
and what I just scribbled down was actually not standing for something because you not because you're lily livered and you don't yeah, know how to express yourself <laughs> but actually you're not putting your uh, drawing a line in the sand or setting out your stool because you are somebody who comes from a position of it's all actually really fluid and it yeah. will all change it does change because mm. if you've been in this business long and you do know that the story changes you mm. know things that were said as as definitive facts mm. 20 years ago are have been completely turned on their heads because this is science and a real scientist which i'm certainly not mm. always says we know nothing if mm. you are a real scientist you know that the truth is out there uh but it's always fluid mm. so so and they're they're just there to to get the facts as they as as good as well as they know them now but they will always keep investigating um on how they can improve or whether they've made a mistake mm. or you know science is discovery yeah and you know beauty i mean you can laugh at us taking ourselves too seriously but beauty is in a lot of ways science mm. so it it does change all the time and i yeah and i've said to you before that's why i'm not successful you know i'm really crap on social because i'm not black and white i'm, I'm i cannot be that person who goes mm. this is what you need to do mm -hmm. you know because i know the truth and people want gurus mm -hmm. on the internet mm -hmm. they want a guru they want somebody to tell you what to do and that is i just wrote a book and the whole premise of the book is don't listen to one person and don't listen to me but learn mm -hmm. inform yourself and then create your own create create your own routine create mm. your own opinion on the basis of your learning mm. um that sounds really boring and it's not boring but we you have to inform yourself and 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 make your own decisions but it's true and again bringing it back to just life in general you yeah. can you can ask as many people for advice as possible but yeah. you actually have to make the decision you and live have the to life. do it yeah it's a bit like getting a a, a personal assistant or a not a personal assistant what do you call that a trainer uh what do you call personal that? trainer personal trainer <laughs> i'm never have one um and and then thinking they will make you fit yeah they will beat you around the head and that's really good yeah but you have to do it you know and people are a bit too reliant on other people fixing them and i think it's the same with beauty oh, what is the best serum mm. in the world there's not one best serum in the world you need to understand what your skin mm. needs and if you don't read up that I, I'm not going to tell you. I hate that question. People always, because I should know after 22 mm. years, and people always ask me those questions. I'm like, I don't know, you know, which is the worst thing you can say mm. if you're supposed to be an expert. And I try to help them say, well, you need to think of this and this mm. and this. And you can see them glazing over, going, well, I don't want to know. I just want to know what you think is the best. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, I'll give you five, you know, and then you maybe have to choose between those, you know. Do you think people should approach skincare as we approach um See, I was doing it then. Um, do you think we should approach skincare as we do our driving tests here in the UK and in the US as well, where you have to do the theory? Oh, yeah. You have yeah, to yeah. pass we the theory that, yeah. and the theory has to be you have to understand your skin. Yeah. Because there's no point going out into the beautiful, magical, colourful, sparkly, gorgeous, <laughs> delicious world of skincare. Yeah. If you don't actually fundamentally understand the oh, canvas you're so that you're, you're working on. I'm good at analogies. I'm so bad at analogies. Yeah. I wish, no, that's a really good, because it's a really good writing tool. 
and some of my colleagues and some of my team are really good at analogies and I'm so jealous of it because I can never think of you know something like that you're together, right together you'd be a great you'd be a great team <laughs> yeah, you can yeah, do yeah, the writing I'll do together. the analogies we were a great team <laughs> but um, yeah exactly it's like a it's like a it's like a driving test exactly <laughs> but you do as with anything and unfortunately again because people are busy and they want the easy mm. way because because there are lots of easy ways but then in the long run it's not an easy way because you make the wrong choices because you based your skincare choices on somebody else's beautiful mm. skin and yours is completely different so well I, I, you know insert every celebrity endorsement here hell yeah, absolutely what was your journey into beauty journalism I didn't know. Oh, that's Grumpy Cat. Um, might oh, have God, to, yeah. that's not Grumpy Cat. He that's... Oh, he's going to be. Like he's going to kill me. Uh, yeah, Grumpy. He's the grumpiest cat in the world. But he's going to look through the window now until I let him in. But we'll just. We'll Is it your cat? Him. No, he's the neighborhood Grumpy Cat. And he wants to have sleep on my bed. Listeners, for context, <laughs> um, Inga, I've just turned around and looking through the bay windows is a, is a very pale <laughs> ginger cat. It's a cat. But the face on it is. I mean, he, we're having a stare off right now. The face on it is. You, he just he's look, trying to be nice. He's no, trying he's calling he's, me no, a twat. He's trying to convince you to come. He wants to be on the bed. This is his way. He's he's useless at being charming. <laughs> he's but, now looking a bit confused. Like, why is this woman looking at me? But it's he because know you. <laughs> he's the most. Uh, honestly, I tell the story I quickly. Tell the story. My husband and I walked past Grumpy Cat the other day in the night, and we went, "Hi, Grumpy Cat. How are you?" Grumpy Cat walked up to a wall, sat in front of it, faced it. Until we left. <laughs> we sat behind Grumpy Cat. There he is. We sat behind Grumpy Cat. Go, Grumpy Cat, turn around. And he wouldn't. He was just saying, fuck off. <laughs> and now he's here looking through the window, charming us into opening. But it's the we look that you cat, would... It, it's literally... It's Pennywise from It. Yes. <laughs> oh, no. He's quite sweet. I think he's very old. Oh, I'm going to have to call Jason. He just doesn't, he doesn't suffer fools. No, He's just like, no, just let me in, bitches. No, no. Um, where journey, were we? <laughs> journey into beauty. Yes. Yes, it didn't exist. So in Holland, I'm from Holland and, um, sorry, doing this again. And beauty journalism was like a, a sideline of the fashion industry, mm -hmm. I think. And I remember beauty journalism as, you know, the advertising images of Dior and Chanel. You know, this is the new 1986 autumn look. Um, and they would use that as editorial images and then put the new makeup next to it. And that was beauty. So I didn't know it was a job. Um, I came here to England because um, I got a job at MTV, which I'd been campaign campaigning for for about three years. Eventually I got a job. Yeah, yeah, I had to work at MTV. Um, We're going to come back. <laughs> that was my journey into beauty. In the end, I came here, job lasted for about nine months. These were kind of short-term contracts, but mm. I kind of got the sense, I literally packed up uh, from Amsterdam and came, because first of all, I'd always wanted to work at MTV. And somewhere in the back of my mind, I kind of thought I might be here for a while. So I mm. packed up, came here, had the job for about nine months and they kind of got rid of all the short-term contractors. Um, and so that here I was. Chestnut. That old chestnut, God, hasn't it been happening for 40 years? Mm. Um, yeah, short version. By that time, I knew my husband, who I had known from MTV, where he, where he worked from the beginning. He didn't work there anymore. Um, I kind of vaguely moved it, well, basically moved in with him when he still had his friend Jono living here. So there was three of us in this tiny flat. 
poor guys and I kind of wouldn't leave um, and <laughs> I was thinking of something I'd always written I tried to get into magazines I wrote some ideas to people and I always remember the first um, letter that I got back saying thank you for your ideas very nice but you really need to think of things that we can think of ourselves um, and that was a really good and that's actually a really good lesson that mm. you know stayed with me forever making me realize it wasn't so easy to just become a feature writer mm. you know I had a lot to learn I had no idea a good no feature writer does oh make god. it look very easy oh god yeah but it's about mm. you know, it's about offering something that is not obvious mm. which is which is quite hard work and then my husband knew somebody who who was editor beauty editor of hello magazine <laughs> wasn't nadine she was pre-nadine <laughs> pre uh, and can she, you imagine being nadine's predecessor <laughs> She was a different. She was a different type of person. <laughs> Very lovely lady, but she worked from home, and she was a bit chaotic. So she needed somebody to clean up her, to clear up her home office mm -hmm. but she always never had she had never had time to write anything so very soon I was actually writing some of her pages oh, wow. <laughs> which was a good opportunity and then the whole thing and we've heard this a million times on your podcast as well and then I thought what is this job mm. you know looks good looks like a good way to get into magazines mm. um and so I called ever started calling. at that time internet hardly existed so I needed that's when you still needed to call people and go <laughs> hello would you like some help uh write letters terrifying yeah write letters and back you in know. the day hand delivering the letter yeah. was like yeah yeah, yeah. you thing. had to kind of yeah. yeah 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 try and do something personal try and try and seem keen and you had to really dare and you had mm. to get over yourself because it that that kind of stuff is never easy mm. but very soon somebody needed some help and i ended up with minx magazine which is a long time ago wow ladette uh, I'd had no idea what Ladette culture was. I'd literally kind of, I'd been in England for about a year and a half. I had no idea what Ladettes were, but anyway, I tried to adapt. I love the way you say it as well. Ladette, yeah, you and, make and it also I'm such a Ladette, you know, <laughs> really that type. So, but it was cool. And I had a boss there. I had a boss there who hated leaving the office. She was very shy. Um, she never, she didn't want to go to launches. So all I did was go to launches the whole time where oh. I knew nobody. And it was, it was the best thing. Obviously, mm. I was literally pushed out there and then it was the whole trajectory of mm. lots of magazines and in about a year and a half I became beauty editor on Shape magazine that's where you were yeah. when I met you yeah 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 that's the, yeah that's when, when we met mm. um and then Shape actually I left a trail of destruction because literally every magazine <laughs> I was on went under uh so Shape went under as well and then I was maternity covers on Eve and psychologies <gasps> yes um, I loved it. And Eve was down the road here in Hammersmith, so it was all very good. Um, and then Alex Steinherr, who was beauty director on Glamour, who at has that been point, on this podcast, been on the this show. podcast. And she, she's a friend of mine. We met when we were interns, and bless her, she needed a uh, maternity cover for her beauty editor, and she was like, "Well, you can come, but I'm the boss." <laughs> uh, <laughs> I remember having that meeting. I'm like, yes, Alex, I will never, I will never counter you. I'll listen to you. I'll do anything you say. Um, the thing with our darling Miss Steiner, she doesn't need to say it. You just know it. I was like, yeah, what are you? Yeah. Well, what, do <laughs> you th what do you think I expect? Um, but in a way, you know, because we were kind of, she was on a much bigger magazine, but we were on the same level. Mm. We were 
um, um, you know, uh, department heads, yeah. even though my department was of one person, that was me. <laughs> and she was actually running a team. But, you know, I knew stuff. I knew what she knew. And, I, and, and actually, people don't often hire people that are on their level. Because it's tricky, yeah. you know. You, you rather want somebody who mm -hmm. has something to learn who's not going to get in your way. But I did say to her, you know that I will never. I know if there's one thing I'm good at, I know my place. You know, mm. I'm number two. I will act as a number two and I will never mm. uh, do you over. You know that. And she knew that. She still said, she said don't ever <laughs> argue with me. <laughs> so I said, yeah, I was there for six months going, trying not to argue with her. <laughs> but we actually worked really well are, together. But listeners, they are like the the, the closest of friends. And have we always argue. Yeah. <laughs> so that was a really funny dynamic. But it worked really well because we're mm. both quite professional mm. and we love what we do so we had a really good time and that's that's when we went on our trip because she allowed me to go to Italy she was like you'll get the really big room because you know you I said yes to room. it but I had I had the biggest room you did because we stayed in this beautiful palazzo yeah. <laughs> and you and I there was a barn that like 16 of the people on the trip yes. stayed in and then but we were in the four good, or five stayed in the yeah. big old palazzo yeah. and you had the master suite and I had the second <laughs> and we had lemon trees outside our windows I, I honestly I would love to go back to that place. yeah it was great and it was I don't even it was near not not Pisa Verona right it was Verona because I remember it as Romeo what was the and product? Juliet uh, it was Dove yes it was <laughs> yeah hey we remember this great what product it was I don't know but it was Dove um, <laughs> oh yeah a lovely time and then Alex was headhunted mm. for glamour mm. uh, you know and she went off into the stratosphere she did and uh, you know I was in the right place at the right time mm. a new editor arrived on Cosmo and so within six months I got that job mm. and that's where I stayed so where did you where does the ask for opinions come from the what the ask for opinions sorry it's my Invisalign yeah um in order to create you know uh get four different get four opinions about oh. something and then distill because for me, I feel like that's, as soon as you said it, I thought that's information I wish I'd had 25 years ago. Yeah, I never thought of it any other way. I, I think I quite quickly, oh, is it meow? I think I quite quickly, I'm going to, oh, Justin, oh. Do you want me to hold the mic while you Can let I Grumpy very quickly ask Justin I'm not going to let pause Grumpy it. get into it. No, hello, wait, <laughs> wait, 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 I'm just going to see what We're going to have to get a picture of Grumpy Cat. Hey. Grumpy oh. Cat's also okay, so keep talking. I'm so excited. I do love animals. I really want my own, but I'm terrified that they'll die. So, and I can't deal with that. So yes. This is my, this is my test cat. <laughs> I'm trying. Oh God. Oh no, I have to open this. No, he does. He looks. He's very excited now. Yeah, you now can tell. Now he looks a bit kinder. He will now continue to ignore us. Will he just stride past me? <laughs> yeah, he'll just walk past you. Come in quickly. You've got a very healthy peace lily there, Ringer. But yeah, peace lilies live. You know, you don't have to look after them. I kill anything that's green. Justin's got green fingers now. Look, oh, So he's a chef and a gardener. What a catch. Still Hi, Grumpy Cat. Honestly, not even cat looking at me. Do his own thing. Didn't even acknowledge me. No, he doesn't acknowledge anything. <laughs> I know. I feel bad for him because he has no charm. Uh, so I want to look after him again. <laughs> he's sweet. I love a cat. Um, I, love a I dog do cats well. and dogs. Yeah. I went to Lisa Potter Dixon's house the other night. She has. She has. She has a cat, little Kim, who lives My on cat the. Was called Kim. Who lives on the first floor? Not who, little Kim. <laughs> I get it. Okay. Who is just amazing, and and I fell in love with immediately. And then she's got Snoop and Diddy downstairs, the dogs, <laughs> who are just honestly all you want to do is just cuddle them and. 
and touch yeah, and put your face on you, their face. Isn't it? He's, I find Grumpy Cat, even though he's grumpy, I find him relaxing because he's a cat. Uh, so yeah, where was I? <laughs> we were talking about. Oh yeah, yes. where does it come from? Because from the beginning, nobody ever gave me one answer you know I always always tried you know sometimes you thought oh this this is the guru and then you spoke to somebody equivalent and they told you something else and Mm. I thought I could never ever ask one person this is Mm. just dangerous because otherwise you're going to just impart the wrong information and yeah like I said I always said to anybody on my team because they would always start that would write a feature and it's like who's this one person you've asked one person Mm. I don't think so (laughs) you know (laughs) I had to go back and do it again Uh, but isn't that a tenet of journalism I I'm not sure I didn't I didn't Mm. you know I didn't study serious journalism I wish I did I thought when I was much younger that I was going to do that and then I kind of veered off doing something Mm. else um, but I think that's part of it. You check your sources. You have several sources, mm. and you—it's it, a way—it's fact checking, isn't it? Yeah. You know, you have to ask several people because otherwise. Well, it's like I've talked on this podcast before about we're all watching Netflix documentaries. Mm. Oh, not Netflix documentaries. Sorry, that's really bad for me to say just about Netflix, but particular documentaries. Mm. But they do in the—they are in the main one-sided. Mm. So you, the, the mm. opinion you develop from it or the opinion that you come to from it will be because you have seen a limited amount of the information and in many cases there is an element of bias and then you have to watch lots of them to come to Mm. a more balanced conclusion so yeah no I don't want to yeah I don't want to just I just want to don't want to pass on somebody's somebody's opinion Mm. you can but then you have to say that is somebody's opinion Mm. you can you cannot pass it off as well you've learned the truth from one person Mm. but if it's science well yeah yeah, at some point there is going to be yeah there there are facts you know and some people and then some people I trust more than others I Mm -hmm. certainly have people whose word I will stand by I will still kind of go what does everybody else say and then if they're roughly in that same direction I'll, I'll go for for their opinion mm. but yeah there's a, but then also in this business you talk to a lot of scientists but you also talk to a lot of scientists who are on message mm. as you know mm-hmm. you know they are talking for a certain brand so they will slightly push their angle towards this particular product that wants to tell a particular story so you have to look behind that as well mm-hmm. you know we are that dealing... was what I never did as a journalist yeah no and that's you know I I, I don't want to do that mm. and that's and that's what's happening online a lot well, you know that's not really journalism is it well no and it's escapism and in my defense, it was because I didn't have yeah, not, three pages. I'm not no. judging you. And you weren't really on a, on, a, on a publication that did that. And to be honest with you, I, I wasn't always either. And mm. also it depended on your editors, how seriously you were going to take your stories. Because beauty isn't being taken very seriously. I mean, it's not going to kill anybody. And, you know, people don't really care whether you say in-depth things or not most of the time it's just you know I want a purple eyeshadow which is the nicest so I maybe turned it I maybe made it more than it Mm. had to be but that's just I guess that's just me I just how have you again because obviously beauty is a metaphor here but how have you made people or how have you convinced people or encouraged people to see what you do as being valid and not frithy frothy and lipstick and eyeshadow and actually because I've always seen it as a point oh I can see this is going to be good I've always seen the frothy side of it and the color and everything yeah as very much the exterior of something that helps somebody build their self-esteem and their self-worth that's what that's what beauty is yeah for me yeah. in many ways as much as I love the color and the 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the but, shimmer, not the sparkle. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> Very important difference. Mm. You know, I, I don't know if I ever, and and you you would say that because you're you're very interested in that, and you're probably right. But I I, I never thought about it in such a such a high, you know, such such an important way. I just wanted to know. Oh no, do I sound like a twat? <laughs> no, you don't sound like a twat. But you you're very, you know, you're a very kind of compassionate person. You really, you know, there there is all that. Mm. Um, but I was more interested in yeah, how does it really work? Because if I understand how it really works, I can pick the right products that are mm. really going to mm. benefit me. So it was more of a, it was more of a nerdy mm. kind of thing. And whether I've ever convinced people, I don't know. I just I, I just like to do it this way because it satisfies mm. me more than than just saying oh this is amazing hydrating lotion you're gonna love it woo you know I just that just doesn't bring me much joy so I just don't want to I don't want to do that so and, and also I get very I do lots of kind of not wormholes when do you get into rabbit holes I get into rabbit holes and I can't stop mm. you know I have to get to the bottom of things before I can start writing and then usually yeah. what comes out is isn't is not even that in depth but I need to understand every detail of mm. it before I can start talking about it because yeah. otherwise I feel like I'm not I'm not doing my best. Mm. It's that thing of, of absorbing all the information allowing it to percolate yeah. and then whatever comes out is the beautiful espresso <laughs> yeah hopefully yeah absolutely and that's why writing takes so much time and mm. and you know we've had discussions about this as well in the new world of beauty where everything has to be done in five seconds somebody was saying oh i find it so frustrating because i have to write this thing in a turn it takes so much time mm. and i'm like hell yes it takes so much time but that's not being respected either anymore by mm. a lot of publishers it's like well you have two hours just churn out this feature and it's like well it's going to be bullshit then because you can't you know you can't you it's can't. a really long and and again we talked about this before as a freelancer that is really hard because writing a feature takes a load of time mm. and it, you know if it's editorial it ain't gonna earn you a hell of a lot of money so it's it's you know and that's fine mm. you know it's what we love to do but my God, it takes a long time to write a decent piece. One of the reasons I stepped back from doing freelance editorial, apart from the fact I found it quite stressful every yeah. single time, was because I think the last feature I wrote, it was eight days work yeah. Yeah. over a weekend and then wasn't even earning minimum wage no. at, at the day rate if you broke it, down my fee. Exactly. And you might be a fast writer. I am the slowest writer in the world, which doesn't help either. And I'm hoping that under these new circumstances, I'm going to learn to write faster, but I'm not seeing it happening These yet. new circumstances, listeners, there is uh, that uh, Inga's just gone freelance. <laughs> yeah, I love saying gone freelance. I was made redundant, <laughs> basically. <laughs> just like, yeah, I went freelance off my own accord after saying for 40 years I never wanted to leave Cosmo. I didn't. I loved it. But, you know, the industry is changing. And, yeah, suddenly it was like, no, we Did, don't um, need you. Are we able to unpick that a little bit? Because it does, yeah. I mean, it does feel shit. Oh, shit. It was awful. It was awful because it was it was 14 years. And mm. like I said, when I left, um, because my colleagues are wonderful and, you know, the magazine doesn't, it's not, they're not angry with me. They, they, mm. were, they were lovely. But um, Yeah, I the said, redundancy was, a, was, a, was a, an indicator of the state of the industry not about yeah, anything yeah, else it's just because i'm crap but you know <laughs> but it does make you feel you do think what mm. you know what have i done all these years and surely and i we did feel we could tell something was happening and again people were going to probably lose their job but i was probably arrogant thinking well they were going to get rid of me because i know more than anybody else you know but actually no first of all i'd hire the best team in the business so what did they need yeah, me for award-winning um, team we award-winning award they team have won have awards for being such a cohesive awards. team 
best team for three years. So, you know, so that was good. Um, but yeah, I've got a fantastic team. And so, yeah, you know, no, the certain, well, they didn't need me. So, um, after 14 years, that that is painful. And it was, it was like leaving a family, mm. you know, and it was absolutely like a mourning process, like a, a mourning, grieving process, mm. which is hard because my dad died last year as well. So I had two of these heartbreaking kind mm. of things. And it, it was surprising. I didn't see that coming, but it was the same stages. I felt the same right. as when my dad died. Well, obviously that was a lot worse, but it felt like the same thing. And, and I, I had to go through it really quite quickly. But then um, I just thought if I don't, I have to make quite a clean break and just move on. Because mm. if I if I dwell on this, I can't, you know, I have no time, mm. you know, I need to set up uh, for myself. So once I made that break, it was in the space of six weeks, everything changed and I made that break and I've, I've got peace with it now. It's fine. Mm. But I, I miss it. I, I Like I said, I, I literally in 14 years, I did not go to work without a smile on my face for a single day mm. it, it was great because not only you know it's a great title but and we had great colleagues but it was always a lovely environment and and we always knew that because our interns we, we had an intern most of the time they always come in for a month and then they go again and they always told us that there was no no nicer place than Cosmo and we were always really proud of that that's really know, lovely because we were nice we we're all nice we we're a nice nice group of people I think nice is underestimated yeah nice is, oh, and undervalued I, yeah and I do want to say sort of pick on that and then bring it on to sort of um you talked about hiring a team and seeing it in uh, the younger ones yeah. coming up not necessarily younger but you know like the new crop yeah. but the um media is and when I've talked about why I wanted to become a journalist yeah. in the first place it was because actually if you look at a lot of the films that we would have consumed in our childhood in our teens journalism a female journalist was actually they were the heroines. There was Lois Lane and Superman. Oh, God, I never thought of it that way. You think about Kate Hudson and 10 Ways to Lose a Guy yeah. or How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days or something. <laughs> there's, they're usually, there's a lot, if you think about it, there are a lot of rom-coms or female-led movies where they work in a magazine, newspaper, isn't it? And so I think that's why I wanted it because I thought, well, that life looks really, really good. Mm. And then, but within that comes the, um, the caricature of it being a really highly competitive place and there being massive egos yeah. and etc etc and I think like anything that exists and I've definitely mm. seen the best of it and I've seen the worst of it mm. without a shadow of a doubt mm. um but you are definitely and I sometimes think those early trips that I went on you alluded to the fact you know because I was on a title that wasn't and my role wasn't solely beauty mm. I would dip in and dip out and you were always the person who not that anyone else wasn't but I think when I was quite new and a bit guarded and felt really insecure being amongst all these people whose editorial I'd read for years mm. you were always the one who just treated me oh hi and got to know me oh <laughs> that's nice <laughs> and then and then we ended up we were the two on that Italy trip who just used the gym <laughs> those treadmills <laughs> But I don't, what is the point if you're constantly competitive and nasty? And, and I don't, I don't think I have much of an ego. I think Farah once said that you don't have an ego. Did she say that to me? I heard that somewhere. I can She's imagine. She's actually it. right. I don't, I don't really. But, and I think that's too much hard work. You know, we are all in it together. We just need to be nice to each other. And, and even if our magazines were competitors in some case, 
was not us, mm. you know, and that's different right now, isn't it? Because everybody's in it for themselves. So everybody's an actual competitor of each other. Mm-hmm. And that makes it a bit harder. That that has hardened the situation yeah. a little bit in, in the new generation. But still, I don't know why, beauty has always been quite a friendly, mm. a friendly space to be. And then I don't know why, but within Cosmo, because I literally was on no other title for 14 years. So I was in that bubble of a magazine that attracted just really nice people mm. so it's just been it's been a pleasure I, I haven't had to deal with with big e- egos and, mm. and nasty people and of course by the time if you're somewhere for 10 years then if somebody's you know wayward you can just tell them off because now you're in charge mm. and you just go stop doing that and then, then they will adapt to your <laughs> environment uh so yeah I've, I've been lucky I've been lucky in a way because mm. if I jumped around, which a lot of people do because it's good for your career, then you have to adjust every single time and you will run into characters that mm. are really hard to deal with. And there certainly are characters in the business that in certain magazines mm. where, God, I hear stories. And I'm just like, why is everybody so vile to mm. each other? I have no idea. I don't know why. I don't know why people have to be vile to each other in any situation. But you and I were talking beforehand about personalities and it, it always comes from insecurity. Anytime yeah. I've ever been a dickhead in my life it's because I felt like I felt insecure yeah and yeah. so I've projected a really tough exterior of like I don't care and <laughs> I'm better yeah. um because I'm trying to be impenetrable yeah yeah and I and I get that and I you know when somebody's being generally a bitch that I always try to look through it and I usually see some kind of unhappiness mm-hmm. and whatever and also also these days people are peddling really hard I think a lot of people are in a position that they haven't properly earned so they are blagging to mm, an extent mm. and so you have to constantly show a face and underneath it all you don't know what you're doing that is that takes a lot mm. out of you so then you don't have time to be nice you know what well, we still come from a time where we had to build ourselves up over such a long time that builds confidence mm. and that makes you a nicer person I think that as well so uh, yeah I think you know happiness and kind of emotional happiness and happiness in your life generally makes you a nicer mm. person I would say yeah but I but I do think it can be a place where I've definitely seen or it can definitely look from the outside as if actually being harder being uh opinionated calling people out can Mm. actually do you well but you're you're kind of the the poster girl for if you just treat people really nicely if you just do your job really well and if those are your core values Well, you have to stay true to your core values. And some people really get ahead by being quite hard and and just, you know, like you say, calling people out and just shouting their opinions and whatever. And they are that person sometimes naturally. They are just Mm. a really tough person. And then it will work for them, you Mm. know, and I will never, you know, you do have to be quite tough to get to the absolute top and I and that's why I think I probably I never will, you know, I I will never be the most successful person in the world because I'm just too... It's not important enough to me to be the queen, you know. I want to be good at what I do, but I don't necessarily have to be the star, you know, of the show all the time because I I just don't value it that much. So you never got pissy about if someone else, your competitor title, got the exclusive on a celebrity? No, I'm really bad about that exclusive thing. I'm like, who the who cares you know and 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 I tried to care for a while because I thought I had that's what I have to do but I I wasn't you know (laughs) very good at it uh so yeah that probably works against me because a lot of them are really competitive this is what I'm gonna do and people are gonna you know people I'm gonna be you know the most the most noted person in the business and then people will come to me and Mm. that actually happens you know if you position yourself like that people will believe you Mm -hmm. you know and I 
I, I can't do that because I'd be <laughs> acting, uh, yeah. uh, not a good actor. So yeah, it's it's I'm I'm good at a certain. I I just want to know that the work I've done is is the very best I mm. could have done. I want to be proud of what I do. Uh, I don't want to sell my soul in any kind of way. So I'm just gonna have to live with with that (laughs) Mm. now so let's talk about mentoring and and hiring the best team Mm. beauty team in the business um what do you what do you slip off my of my no no my bottom's gone to sleep (laughs) (laughs) yeah i've got one awake bottom but (laughs) my leg my leg's literally asleep right now (laughs) you can move I will. If you see me shaking my leg, I'm just waking it up. Um, If you, yeah, so seeing the younger generation come in, because I remember when I used to interview people for uh, internships or jobs, the the thing that would make me almost like, as if I just sucked a lemon would be, Mm. I just really love beauty. Oh, that's (laughs) the worst thing you can say to me. Oh, great. Yeah, yeah, who does, you know, I'm just like every girl, not every girl, but, uh, you know, Every girl mm. that loves a lipstick or a moisturizer. I mean, oh, I'd be great. And the people say I'd be perfect for this job because I'm passionate about beauty. Mm. Yeah, can you write? Mm. You know, it's just like, have you looked at mm. this job? Oh, it does my head in. And as somebody who came to this job was going, what the hell is this? Oh, this looks like a good way of getting mm. into <laughs> magazines. It was like ridiculous. You play with some lipstick and you have a career. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I only discovered later that you could do something interesting with it. But it was mm. a way in. It was a, it was a means to an end for yeah, me. Yeah. It wasn't because I was passionate about beauty everybody's passionate about beauty um that doesn't get you anywhere Mm. you know you have to be a writer you have to have a creative vision you know you have to be a hard worker you have to be a networker you have to be an efficient person that can do 12 million things at the same time uh you have to be a communicator that's really hard these days Mm. because all these girls who come in they can't the amount of times we've had an intern, you said, you call this person because you need to talk to them and i would hear her on the phone in the middle of a conversation suddenly hang up the phone Without saying goodbye, I've had what? it so many times. And I would look at them and just go, did they just hang up? No, no, I, 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 I said what I needed to say. You know, just, and that tells you something about the level of communication skills that people have these days. But anyway, that's just, that's just part of it. You just have to be somebody who gets stuck in and has a certain, and has a talent. How do you know that when someone sits in front of you? you it's modesty uh, you know if somebody comes in uh, you know I'm amazing and whatever they don't really say that but there's an attitude mm. you can sense an attitude straight away it's the people and this is you do look terribly you do look for images of yours I don't want to say that I only want to see reflection of myself <laughs> in people but automatically you look for people who are a bit like you I think Um, so I want to see people and that sounds really stupid who almost play themselves down a bit Mm. uh, who who recognise their own failings because we're not perfect and who dare to say well I'm not really good at this and Mm. then often it turns out they're freaking amazing at Mm. it but you know if you can be modest if if you don't overestimate your skills Mm. but but are confident in what you're good at then I will trust you to work really hard and and learn Mm. so I think I I was always kind of looking for that um and always I make them new massive projects you can see quite quickly whether somebody can write or not Mm. um and then as a personality and a humor and a kindness you know Mm. if somebody any attitude 
out. You know, I just I just want nice people who will work together. And that kind of thing of what can I do for you? Can I make you tea? Can I make mm. you tea? Um, no, I don't need tea, but thanks for asking. You know, it's, it's those little things where, you know, just I want to I want to do anything. I want to mm. help. I want to learn. You know, that's what you want to see. And then once you've got someone in place, um, I guess it's the thing of like allowing them to grow because you have, yeah. and I'm thinking about Laura specifically, yeah. <laughs> Laura Capon, who I just think, I think she and Lucy Partington, yeah. who you've, you've worked with both of them, oh, haven't yeah. you? I'm now getting confused. <laughs> I think they are, and I've said to them before, I think they're really exciting young journalists because they are asking questions and yeah. they are um, ex- sort of exposing elements of the beauty industry or they're thinking in a way that I, there's no way I could think in that yeah. way. Yeah, and but they, you must be bringing that out of them in some way. Well, they both came in. I mean, Lucy is is I'll call it the famous story. Is famous in my eyes. She came. She came uh, from Grimsby. <laughs> she used to work at McDonald's. Uh, I Grimsby. Um, and she was working at McDonald's. Yeah, and and she just you know she she commuted back and forth you know to freaking Grimsby mm. so she could work at McDonald's on the weekend and intern for us. But the beginning of the story was that she offered herself as an intern, and I was away at that time. Um, but she. Uh, she she cancelled at the last moment. She was going to help us with the beauty awards, and the beauty awards were a bugger. And we needed somebody oh, always to kind of take control of it. And we needed a month long intern to really help us out. And she cancelled at the last minute. And I was away, so I didn't know the ins and outs of it. But when I came back, I I sent her a really angry email. Mm. Um, saying you really dropped us in it and this is not how if you really want to get into the business this is not how you do it you know or an angry email I just really wanted to tell her you really you upset told us straight, we need yeah. it we needed you and and you know and instead I I expected never to hear from her again because you never do when you tell mm. people off in any kind of way and she sent the most you know she sent this really eloquent email which she totally took responsibility and apologized but there was a reason and mm. actually in the end there was a really good reason and you know she explained but she didn't use that to mm. to uh, justify herself she mm. completely apologized she she just took responsibility and i just thought well that's obviously somebody you know. a lot can happen in the next 3 years like a chatbot maybe your new best friend but what won't change needing health insurance United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You know, who I want in my team and she never left you know so yeah. she never left she left for a bit and then I got her back because I wanted her back on the team and now she's uh, and now she's now you know and then of course she left me like they all do in the end <laughs> uh, so but that was the attitude that I needed mm. and Laura came in through another way as a really shit BA to the editor she was she's so chaotic so she's not a good PA I she can't will admit Laura's a PA. Uh, no not at all um, but she needed confidence she, she has a really 
um unique voice she has a proper voice mm, you know she mm. she had no writing technical writing skills but she has a voice she mm. has a, a personality and and all she needed was to learn how to develop her mm. her technical skills and she ran away from it because she went online after mm. a while where she she could she could have a better salary and a, and a better opportunity at that point but I was a bit annoyed with her because I felt that she was taking the easy way out mm. so she, she could just write quick quick bitty stories yeah. she didn't have to work so hard because mm. I terrified her with the first feature she had to write seven pages about sun care and she Ooh. learned she learned that there was no one answer to anything she said there is no answer I've asked a thousand people and they all tell me a different thing I said yeah welcome uh, you know, and she had to kind of. <laughs> she hated it. Um, I don't know if she hated it, but it was a lot of work, mm. and it kind of overwhelmed her a bit. And I think I think she thought she wasn't good enough, and she mm. went elsewhere. And then, she, then after a few years, you know, there was an opportunity, and I asked, "Do you want to come back?" And she said, "Yeah, I really want to. I want to get my teeth. I want to learn now. I want to mm. really learn how to write a, a big feature." And so we did that together. And and I think. The way they learned, I was never very authoritative. I'm not authoritative at all. So I literally, the teams, my teams were always like, whoever has the best idea, if that's a seven pager, then you write it, mm. you know. And they went, oh, what are we going to do? I have a seven pager. Well, you know, you start and mm. I will I will look at it. And as Laura described it, they did the loveliest thing for me when I left. They, they wrote me a book of love. Um, but they asked, Laura and, and Kate on my team asked lots of people who I love in the business to write me a letter. Um, and they gave me a book of it. And that just... Oh, it was the best thing that just really got mm. me through the whole thing. But Laura wrote her saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're always, you, you, I just remember you huffing and puffing through my features, terrifying me. <laughs> like, and that's what I'm afraid. <laughs> a feature will come and it's like a bit of a chaos. And my first reaction is to not be very quiet about that. Okay. <sighs> okay. Well, I don't know where to start, you know. <laughs> no, they would, they would just be terrified. But after the first kind of <laughs> thinking and grumping, and, oh, do I have to this as well? Then we would sit together and we would work through it. And that's how they how they would learn to do it. And uh, But it was always a collaboration. But that's so, I love hearing that. And it makes me feel really sad for my younger years in journalism because yeah. I never really had that. No, and that depends on where you end mm -hmm. up. Um, and that's when you're lucky, when you have that kind of and again I had really lovely editors all the time and Farah was like that I mean she would go yeah great feature um uh, just a few little things and then she'd give it back and she'd rewritten re the whole damn thing and it was just writing all over it and just red kind of crosses mm. through it, and you'd be like oh for fuck's sake there is nothing as terrifying um, actually as um uh, uh, your printout of your feature yeah. with the editor's notes yeah yeah, it'll be capitals and yeah, and oh god, if I were never, you know, she didn't have time to do it in a nice way. Uh, but then also, I was very protective of my copy, so I'd be mm. like, "Well, this is bollocks. I don't agree with this at all." So <laughs> I would have to then kind of sit through and kind of take it in, and then I would talk to her, and she was always available. Okay, so that's the yeah. magic moment. Yeah, absolutely. I would take it away. I would sit. I would sit back. I would take it all in, and then I go back to her. Yeah. Whereas, definitely in my own life, and I'm acknowledging that I have been mm. a dickhead. <laughs> I, I would have taken that as an insult as somebody almost like a power game of someone putting me down 
And some people do that, but mm. certainly wasn't like that. And also, I kind of relished the opportunity to have a discussion and to find out why she would have that opinion when I would agree, agree with it. And often, she has a real instinct for selling a story, mm. uh, and I can get way too deep and get very boring. So <laughs> I I learned from her. She had a lot of really good mm. instincts. Sometimes she would change something. I was like, well, that's just clearly nonsense. And she'd go, oh, okay, well, then change it back then. So it was a discussion, mm. uh, and it was a collaboration. And, and I think that is a difference. You you want to teach somebody something, but you, it also has to be collaborative because otherwise they won't absorb it and and take it as a um, as support because mm. because they want to teach you something. And and you know from her I could really learn and I mm. learned a lot from her. And I thought that was amazing. It was hard work because yeah. you never you could never get. There was one feature I got through at once and that was wow I was like what happened are you sick (laughs) Uh, (laughs) but you know I finally got what she what she wanted Mm. from me and I finally realized what her method was and it made sense right Um, not that she did everything the same but she had a way of thinking about features that would make them successful Mm. Um, so yeah if if you want to learn again as a as a as a pupil you need to want to learn and not be offended like if your teacher in school you know crossed everything out and said this is crap you go oh shit I have to do it again Mm. he was your teacher Mm. Um, and that's how you need to see kind of your superiors at work Mm. as your teachers because then you don't take it personally you take it as a as help Mm. Uh, but there are people who are just awful and and are on a power game you know so there definitely are people like that Um, yes and you won't learn and and they won't help you improve and that's a shame that those are kind of kind of soul suckers aren't they yeah Um, but it's it's up to you to see it and it's up to you to distinguish you know it would be a shame if there were people who were trying to help you and you just took it personally and walked away angrily but you're mm. not that kind of person you're not somebody who takes things the wrong way the whole time so you, you can sense yeah I think to an extent you can sense when somebody's a bad teacher when somebody's a good one <laughs> yes it's like I was chatting to someone this week and I was saying um I was never I was terrible at exams terrible yeah. at exams yeah but it wasn't that I didn't know the stuff but just I wasn't very good at exams. It was only English where I ever really did. lost confidence during the exam. Well, and somebody said something to me years ago and it suddenly all made sense. Um, It's about, with exams, it's about knowing what they want you to show them. Reading the question and going, ah, they want me to show them X, Y, and Z. Oh, I never thought of that. Rather Rather than just taking the question as a starting point for you sharing what you know Mm -hmm. it's about what they want you to know yeah and it's that fundamental difference because actually you can be really clever and not be particularly good at exams and you can be um really good at exams but maybe not wow i can't believe it this is so long ago i mean literally i'm that old i can't remember you know i just you know i learned it and i turned it back out Mm -hmm. i guess so i never thought of it that way but you're probably right yeah it is that thing of um if you're not delivering what exactly what, what they, they want to hear yeah that's quite hard for are you talking from when you were young when you're in school it's quite hard for for a teenager to, to no i am talking about um two of my really really good friends are super super this bright is grown up yeah and okay. i was talking to their mum, and she said the reason why they've always been and they've got um, you know amazing first class double first class or something mm. degrees and she says the thing is they've always understood what is expected of them from the question or the tutor or what have you. Interesting. Yeah, never thought of it that way. Just and actually, that's make, making me think about an editor giving feedback. Yeah. Is you is and you saying I finally understood whether it's an editor or whether it's anyone else because obviously mm. not everyone listening will be working in the media, but if you are in a job and somebody is giving you 
feedback consistently and it feels like maybe they're nagging you or attacking you mm. actually it could be that you just don't understand you're not quite getting what they want from you yeah yeah and it's lucky when you're on the same um wavelength mm. Uh, Farah definitely was. So sometimes mm. people are trying to teach you something and you just don't agree with their vision and then it's mm. much harder to take their criticism. So, you know, th there's an element of luck in there as well if you come across somebody who you actually... Yeah, I like I like how you're thinking. So I want to be more like you, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So so you cannot you cannot choose your bosses. Yeah. Um, so there's an element of luck as well. But but also, you know, again, if you want to learn, then then try to try at least to distill that from what they're telling mm. you. And then it's it's easier to take. It's easier to take the criticism, I think. That's really interesting. I like that. Right. We're going to move on a little bit, sort of take a sideways step mm. because um, you've just written a piece about running. Yes. And you, we've talked about the two treadmills. Inga and I had our bonding moment in terminals at, at airports, on coaches and planes, and then on that Italy trip. Yeah. We there was a downstairs gym. Do you remember? It was like almost. Yeah, it, was it a wasn't basement. an old room. You know, it felt like. Yeah, sort of. You had to go through like wooden panelled yeah. area. I just remember it as being. I didn't really particularly like going down there on my own. But you were always in there. And I think there was a cross trainer on a treadmill. Yeah. Maybe we took it in turns. Maybe there were two treadmills. No, there were two treadmills because we were definitely next to each other at some point talking about walking on a treadmill. Yeah. But then we would both put our music on. And I remember that's when we had the discussion about what music do you listen to? And I think you were Stock Aiken and Waterman <laughs> because you like to be bouncy, <laughs> happy, Prince? jolly. Stock, yeah. No, I need some. Yeah. I need uh, 80s pop. Yeah. And I said, yeah, 80s pop. And yeah. I said, um, it's Guns and Roses because I like to be furious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Both works. Yeah, they do. Yeah. But so you've just written this feature about running, and so for me, you, I always associate you with running, with being health conscious, mm. and by the person who on holiday, even though obviously it was a work trip, the person who who factors in going to the gym and just keeping on top. Yeah. Of yeah, I, and I did. I do. I do a lot less of that on trips actually, because I just can't be bothered. But um, we're not thirty-one anymore. Uh, yeah, and also, yeah, I I know. I, I, I don't know. I just I I do a. It's it's interesting. I I was and I always say this. I when I was young, my dad was a really good hockey player, so I played hockey from I don't know the age of seven to the age of fifteen, and I hated it with an absolute vengeance I hate it I was sucked at it I cannot do anything involving a ball I hate a ball and I hate team sport I can't stand it and my dad wasn't aware of this and I wasn't aware of you know I just and did it because that's what we player. did no I'm a shit well in life I'm yeah. okay but not you know on a, a oh god terrible <laughs> I hated it so much and but it's what we did all the mm. children in my village played hockey whatever and it it ruined my idea of exercise. At 15, I finally said to my dad, please take me off. And he, and he was mortified. He was like, oh, my God, I thought you loved it. Went, dad, I hate it. Oh, my God. Well, then we'll stop. Anyway, fine. Um, from that moment, I thought I hated exercise because I also hated volleyball and softball that we always had to play in PE. And I was like, I don't I don't do exercise. And it wasn't until I went to a gym for a joke when I was a student in Amsterdam. <laughs> 
that I realized I love exercise by myself, but mm. nobody ever exposed me to it. And I always say to people, and I always I wish it was a rule in PE class that children get an option, mm. you know, because I think there's a kind of exercise for everybody. We all mm. need to be a bit more active. It's just mm. better for you. Mm. You know, mm. it's emotionally, it's so much better for your soul. But lots of people just go, well, I hate the gym. Well, yes, there's other things you can do. Mm. So we need to learn from a young age mm. what kind of exercise we love. And the moment, the moment I discovered that, I worked out five hours a week because I just loved it mm. um, because I found something I really liked. And then over the years, I understood how much it did for my brain. Mm. You know, it is the best kind of stress, stress reliever. And, and that's why I still do it. Mm. Um, and that's why I, and, and where I grew up, um, I live on the edge of a forest. So so I very years back, I started running in the forest and it's just it is. It's in Holland kind, yeah in Holland mm. but it's an enhanced because you're running everything is enhanced mm. you know your your hormones whatever I don't know what's happening but you experience things more so you understand nature more and you get this kind of um, mix of, of being in nature and actually all your cells being open so it's it's I don't know what it is it really helps to get you through tough times and it's it's got me through all my stress through my life and mm. last year was really important because so many horrible things happened mm. and it just it just got me through it and I think that would if anybody could see that and find something that they could do in terms mm. of moving then it would yeah, it's it, it's it's a no it's a no brainer. It's really it's just good for your soul, I think. So what did this this feature particularly just really honed in on that it honed in on that i mean it was a thing about there's something called um uh, uh running therapy so there's there's this guy who who runs with you and and it was interesting how he explained it he said oh my oh my very loud husband is coming in so i'm just gonna hold on uh, <laughs> he's gonna make a noise um uh he explained it because sometimes when people have therapy, they're in front of each other and people feel really intimidated. Mm. But when you run next to each other, you can just chat like friends. So he came up with this idea of, of DRT, running therapy, and you run together. Or you can walk if you like mm. to. And you talk. You have a therapy session and you walk and you talk. So I wanted to check that out for a feature. And I was a bit like, what can you tell me? Th you know, running is therapy. So mm. I was like, oh, what, what? But, you know, there was, something, there was something interesting about it. And we talked some things through and he showed me some things about my dad and 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 the year that I've been through that were actually quite revealing and mm. I, I learned something from it so but yeah we both agreed we said I mean this is the best thing you know running is therapy and exercise is therapy do you think it's because because I mean I go through fits and starts as you know mm. um but I always do some form of exercise it's very rare for me to go more than a few days without doing something yeah. even if it's I live on the edge of a big park now so I go and do long walks yeah but um, I remember when I was do, training for the half marathon, so back in magazine days, yeah. and um, I was on a shoot and it was it was really my stress relief. And I remember being on the shoot with this model and she said, well, you, you understand why that is, don't you? And she said, it's because when you're running, you have to just, you have to leave mental baggage behind yeah. and your brain just has to concentrate on moving your, your legs, yeah. pumping your heart and breathing. Yeah. And so your mind has no option but to quiet exactly. down. And we try to do that with meditation, but mm. that's much harder because you're not being distracted, you know, mm. you're not being forced to not think because mm. you sit there, you know, and it's actually, it's quite hard not to think. But if you're trying to swerve, you know, 
ducks like like we did on my running therapy run or or you know uh, twigs and whatever I mean I've run through a forest that can be quite hard going mm. and I'm often land on my face um but uh you you can't yeah you can't you you your heart's pumping that's all you can think about mm. and it just drains your mind in a good way of all that rubbish and it does create endorphins it does mm. god you come back and you are lifted mm. so it just it takes everything away from you for a while and it comes back but you you now have a method to get rid of that mm. when it gets too much you can get rid of that for a mm. few hours all that that worry and that that oh, that adrenaline that's the way to get rid of it and i know it's easier said than done the moment you see it you will never let it go mm. You know, the moment you realize how effective it is, you'll find a way, yeah. you know, and you can walk, you don't have to run, you know, you can swim, you can do whatever, but mm. it's, it's, it's a big thing for me. Yeah. Yeah. Really, really important. Um, which, and the, another thing that, um, is known, Inga, to, uh, increase your endorphins yeah. is a little someone called Prince. Yes, that really increases my endorphins. <laughs> They're easy staring at We you. have, we have, okay, so we have, I cannot, if I had, I, I know that there are going to be friends of ours listening to this who are going to be like, how have they done an hour and not spoken about Prince? This is insane. And it's almost because I'm like saving up. There's a lot. There's so, so much to talk to you about. But we have to talk about Prince because, again, we got to know each other on trips. And I've, I've always, I thought I loved Prince, but I didn't yeah, love Prince. As much as I love Prince. <laughs> <laughs> I remember seeing Purple Rain in 1984, yeah. 1985, when I was seven. So God, you were very young. My God. Yeah. Um, and just Massively. And it's quite an inappropriate movie, really. If hugely you, inappropriate. <laughs> I watched it again recently. Yeah. And when he's, I'm shocked. I'm more shocked now as I yeah. was then. I was like, what? Oh, okay. like, he's got his hands right It's very sexual. Yes. And the darling Nikki performance. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that that was a defining moment in my childhood. In my childhood. <laughs> so wrong. And I've told this story before on the podcast but I remember years later probably in like in my late 20s or something um for some reason it came up at home about <laughs> sexual awakenings and I remember saying to my mum oh well I had my first ever impure thought was seven. about Prince oh, not at seven but maybe not long after so my first impure sexual thought was about Prince and my mum's killer line and she does come out with them was you know why that is and I was like oh no why she said because he's got rhythm Oh, yeah, she was probably right. Yeah, no, I she mean... She was probably right. Oh, bless her. Yeah, she got it. Mm. True. Yes. yes. No, totally. But um, <laughs> I was expecting something a bit more profound. But yeah. <laughs> no, it's as simple as that. And that's true, actually. Dancers are always attractive, aren't they? But anyway. I, I travelled on tour with a very famous singer um, who? who shall re remain nameless, but I'll tell you afterwards. But um, <laughs> the only reason I won't say it is just because I don't want to, anyone to be identified, but I was I chatting to some of the dancers. Okay, yeah. Oh no, not as a dancer, like no, as no, a... No, 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 but why were you travelling on tour? Um, I was helping with social media. Okay, this fine. Is a, you actually had a job, newly unlike freelance. me, but anyway. But the um, but I got chatting to the dancers and they were just like, yeah, we're all... Because they're all so active and they're oh, so... Oh, God, yeah, it's, they're, they're in like, their bodies. We are yeah, yeah, horny. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I'd imagine. It's yeah. like, so now I can't watch Strictly come dance. Yeah, <laughs> well, that's the curse of Strictly, isn't it? It really is true. Yeah, yeah you can imagine. And also you feel good about yourself. I mean, mm. look at them. Of course, they feel good about themselves. But it's also once you dance, it's a really... Yeah, I guess mm. it's a really intensive experience. So you are the best shape or yeah. fitness you can be. You know, it's all of that. But anyway. So him. the Prince thing, <laughs> I mean, I don't know whether we come at Prince at, on his own or whether we have to talk about MTV. Yeah. Oh, it's such a hard one because it's such a long story. And certainly it wasn't MTV wasn't the beginning. MTV was a means to an 
And um, the main reason I wanted to work at MTV because, you know, maybe I could meet Prince. And the main reason I wanted to do anything in life for 10 years was because it might be a way to meet it's literally true. And I, listeners, you're going to find out very shortly whether Ringer actually ever met Prince. I worked hard enough at it. I deserved <laughs> it. Uh, I, honestly, and I didn't think about it so much, although it got to a point in school. And thank God I had the best time at school. We had a massive group of friends and everybody, you know, we were like Greece or, you know, St. Elmo's Fire. It was, I had the best time. Yeah. School was just the best time. But how they put up with me, because I talked about nothing else for 10 years or for the five years that I was in school still. And it got to a point where people never asked me how I was. It was in the morning. Hi, how's Prince? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was crazy. Um, yeah, it's all. I, I was so focused on that. And I was. I was thinking. I, basically, I had the same, but I was. I'm older than you, so I was 14 when all of this happened. And I was talking to to one of my oldest friends over Christmas because I said it was here in in your parents' house that it happened. <laughs> <laughs> Because my best friend had bought Purple Rain. I was furious with her because I thought Prince was a lecherous creep. And I hated how him. And you? I said, how, how dare you buy this album? And she said, well, shut up. We're just going to listen to it. And we went to my, my friend's house. We, his dad had the best stereo system in the village. And we just sat there. And I was like, oh, God, I have to listen to this bullshit. <laughs> and I just remember the first 30 seconds. It's, it's let's go crazy. And it mm. it. it Builds up quite a lot, right? Dearly it's quite beloved. an intense, you know, a speech about an elevator. Anyway, what is this about? But anyway, it feels like something exciting is going to happen, and then it kind of explodes. And I just really remember being nailed to the ground. I just, it was like a lightning strike. I was like, "What is this?" Mm. You know, this is it and my friend my friend said he is the biggest queen fan and he said i had the same experience my mom made me listen to a song when i was 10 i think it was killer queen or something and he said i had the same thing i just suddenly felt like this was going to be my main my main music for the rest mm. of my life this is what i loved and it it was mm. literally like that so from that moment on and it wasn't even the man that happened later and there was another lightning experience i was watching him on a American Music Awards or did something. You marry, did you marry the face? Did I marry him? Sound? No. Um, shit. Uh, <laughs> no, at that point I was still trying to hate him because I was... I've, but when you eventually saw him, yeah, did it make sense? Yeah, maybe it did because it was a performance that I saw and I was just, I was just, man, this man, because at the time, my God, he was, he was on, he was like mm. a caged animal at that point. You know, he was, he was, there was such an energy and, and he... Oh, he just he just baffled me. I was like, "What is this man?" Um, and he re it really got to me. And from then on, I just I don't know what I thought, but from a very early point onwards, I was like, "I got to meet this man. I don't know how I'm going to do it. I'm a girl in a village in Holland, and he's the biggest thing on earth." So I don't know. But I kind of had a sense that I needed to do something. <laughs> did you know that it was going to happen? Did you have a deep? Did you maybe feel it? not at that point? But and I was thinking about this the other day. You know, you know, there was a real craze. I think it's still kind of that whole thing about manifesting mm. and about making what do you call them um vision boards oh, yeah, and, yeah. and affirmations and vision boards of course i didn't know what that was and i always think you know i'm not really a self-help person as you mm. know as a bit like you just do it don't talk about it get over uh, it yeah whatever um and i remember there was a beauty brand a few years ago that would that you would go to a launch and it would make you make a a vision board and and I remember <laughs> making a point of not going to those launches because I thought it was ridiculous but then I thought the other day throughout my school years you should see my diaries and my scrapbooks it was 
pure affirmation it was just me going on and on and on <laughs> about one day you know and here he is I would pick put pictures of him and me together and it looked like we were together in a picture and you know whole <laughs> lists of things that he'd written that you know I took to heart and I would live by it because mm. personal advice you know live for love you know whatever where there's a will there's a prince I, I, I don't know it was ridiculous it was ridiculous but I was literally only thinking in one direction mm. and it worked. <laughs> and, then, and then I was lucky because between 86 and 95, he, he toured almost every year. Mm. So then the whole thing, you know, queue for tickets. At those In those days, you had to queue for yeah. tickets and you had to queue so you could get to the front. So the real fans mm. were always at the front. And so from, from day one, from concert one, I was at the front. Mm. Um, and literally the first concert, he singled me out for some reason, really inappropriately. He was singing Do Me Baby, uh, which Wait, is obviously, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was, it was just at the front trying to breathe. Um I was just screaming throughout this thing. I was hysterical, I remember. Um, and, yeah, he just, you know, you know how they do. They find somebody, they sing a line to them. But, yeah. No, I don't know what that's <laughs> yeah, like. No, 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 they do that. <laughs> so, yeah, he sang a line to me. And I was a bit like, oh, my God, he sees me. This is good. You know, but obviously, you know, he did that to anybody. So, but still, I kept yeah. getting these tiny things from the beginning where I thought, oh, you know, he's not as far away, you know, because I thought of him as a, as a god on a, on a, on a mountain. Because um, also he has got those eyes that when he looks oh at God. you, <laughs> yes, it's obviously I've never ever seen him in real life, and that's one of the things I will always. Yes, that, you should regret that. That's a shame. That's why Caroline now buys tickets to every. Yeah, performer she does that. Yeah, because yeah, she's like, she's I've missed right. out on too you many. Need to, yeah, um, but I've, even in the movies I've seen, like you can see when he locks eyes with you, it's not. It's it is something. Yeah, yeah. It is something, and and yeah, it's it's it. it, it yeah. It was all, it's such a long story, but it took all these tiny bits and I, I kept at it. Um, How and did you keep at it? Keep at it. In the beginning, you just try to get to the front and what starts to happen, because um, you're never the only one. So people on stage and people, you know, bodyguards and whatever, they begin to recognize the same faces. So that's when you start getting an in, going, hi, how are you? Mm. And then you think they might invite you to a party or something. You're, you're constantly trying to stay in this orbit because you think, I mean, I'm, I might get a bit closer. I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do, but anyway, we'll see. And so that started happening. People started to recognize you. And in, in 1988, uh, that was the third tour. <laughs> so this took years. Mm. Um, I was in Germany for the first time. I was abroad and a, a bodyguard recognized me from Rotterdam, where, I, where I'd been in the front every night or every day. And he gave me a ticket to a party that night and oh my god I'm gonna go to a prince party because he would always the bodyguards were going around obviously prince had lots of female fans but he also had lots of nerdy male fans and prince didn't want the nerdy male fans <laughs> at his party so the <laughs> so so <laughs> So the bodyguards would go around and, and, and invite the ladies, you know, ladies could come to the party and dance and with it, or and whatever. And were you all cool with each other or was there like... Yeah, I didn't know most, you know, I mostly worked on my own unless I could, you know, somebody would have a car and I'm like, can I drive with you and whatever. It wasn't, I, I, there were a few people that, that I knew, mm. but generally, you know, I, I just did my own thing. Um, and so I ended up at that party and, and something happened wait, there. Wait, wait, sorry. You were on your own. Yeah, I got, no. I went to Germany. I was 18 at this point. So my parents said, okay, you can go. But I went on a on a, an organized bus trip. 
<laughs> because this was this was a show where Prince had invited just Dutch people because he was recording it for a video of video, um, yeah, um, um, a concert tape. He wanted Dutch people because they were very loud and he couldn't get a venue in Holland. So he got to Dortmund and that's very close to Holland. So I wanted to go and I went with a lot of Dutch people on mm. a bus. But you know, I didn't know. So I was once I was there, I was by myself. But you know, I went by myself um, and then I got the, the ticket to the party and I found some German girl with a car and we drove to the party, which was in a industrial estate somewhere in Dortmund. And I ended up in a working man's club. I was wearing this, you know, shoulderless top and I was 18 years old because I had to call my dad. I'm like, dad, I'm not coming home on the bus um, because I'm going to a party. Um, and all I remember is my dad picked up. Clearly, mum and dad were already in bed and my dad picked up. I said, I'm not coming. I'm getting a, a, a train tomorrow. I'm fine. Don't worry about me. And all I heard, the phone drop and all I heard was, I'm coming now. And then my mom going, Ronald, go back into bed because mum and dad was so upset. <laughs> dad I'm fine I'm okay um and I ended up at that party um just hanging around and I remember I was standing in this in this um tiny hallway um on the way to the dance floor when Prince came through with his behind his bodyguard um randomly and I I stood just up against this wall I've never been this close and he walked past and suddenly he stopped and turned around and looked straight at me and just smiled. Oh. And I was just, and this German, he is looking at you. And I was just, shut up, I don't want to do. Um, and that was it. He just walked on and that, that was it. And that's when I knew, and this was the last day of, of the Love Sexy tour. <laughs> I said, next tour. I will beat him because if he can see me, if he can, because that was the revelation. The fact that he could see me, you know, in a crowd of, you know, he, mm -hmm. you know, his taste in women, you know, good taste in women, just mm. not me. <laughs> so I was like, bloody hell, you know, it was a revelation. Mm. I was just like, Jesus Christ, I can actually get, I can actually get closer. I don't know how, where, when, when, what, but that's when I knew. So, um, yeah, and it was exciting. It, it, and I, I kept in touch with his bodyguards. I don't know how I got his address. Um, Prince's address? The, uh, no, it wasn't Prince's address. Yeah. This, this bodyguard who gave me the pass. I saw him at the at the party and I said, oh, give me your address and I'll write to you. Why he would, you know, what? I have no idea. Actually, looking back, I don't understand. And I kind of, for two years, I wrote him letters, which must have been like, hi, how are you? How is Prince? <laughs> So that was charming. So how he put up with that, I have no idea. Uh, and he never really, I think he wrote back once, you know. And then the 1990 tour happened and I wrote to him like, you're coming, aren't you? And he was like, no, I just quit. And I'm like, great, great investment in time and letters. <laughs> you know, that's my one contact. Oh, no. But he said, yeah, I know the whole crew and I'll tell you about them. I'll tell them about you mm. and somebody will give you a pass and you can get backstage for the day or something. Oh it God. literally happened like that. And I was like, oh, amazing. Thank you. Anyway, never spoke to him again. It's cutthroat. Um, and then when the tour started, the day before the tour, I called up the hotel, the crew hotel. I found out which hotel that was and I just asked for this name. And he actually picked up and he said, yeah, I heard about you. Um, I'll... I'll give you a pass. You just come to the back of the stadium and I'll give you a pass and you can hang around, but you got to, you know, you got to just be quiet and you can sit around. If that's what you want, that's absolutely fine. And that's how I got in. And, and <laughs> it's just ridiculous. Um, and they turned out to be, hello, darling. Uh, <laughs> it's 
still talking. I know, I know. <laughs> He's very grumpy. Um, the cat, not the husband. There's a cat in me. There's a cat in my kitchen. Um, yeah, and it was really weird. They, these are people from Minneapolis. These weren't hardened. There were a few LA crew there, and oh, they I tended see. to be trouble. Yeah. But, and this was a big tour. I mean, this was stadium sixty five thousand people, and and so this was a big deal. Uh, but they, these are people from Minneapolis, and they were nice Midwestern kind of men in their thirties. And very quickly, they started acting like uncles. They they weren't. You know, because I was a bit like, how am I going to navigate this? Mm. Because obviously, you know, I could be in trouble if I don't watch out. But my attitude was very, I didn't come in half undressed, you know, going, hey, baby. I was like, hello. <laughs> um, and they they started looking after mm. me. It was really weird. From the beginning, they were my uncles. And, and, and all of them, I got to know most people really well, very quickly. I got to know, uh, hello, grumpy, grumpy cat. Uh, he's probably going to, yeah, see, this is what's going to happen. Let's see. He's going to demand to get left, you know, yeah, he wants out. For God's sakes. Um, <laughs> no, no, carry on. Carry on. Yeah, yeah, forget it. Oh, no, no, he's he's single-minded, his grumpy cat. It's part of the story. Um, got to know Michael. Michael was a drummer, and he was—he's just the most wonderful guy. And he was a bit shell shocked. He was literally he'd been plucked from from college by Prince, and and just taken on tour. Um, and he was—I don't think he'd ever been on a plane. He'd never been to Europe, so he was sitting there going, uh, uh, "And so I'll be his friend." So <laughs> you know, so we got on quite well, and it just became. I don't know. I just just hung around, and people were really nice to me. Um, and that was the day before the tour, the next tour, uh, the next night, they, the next day they let me in again and I was just hanging around. Uh, no, yes, next day. Next day was the first show and again something weird happened. I, it was the first show, it was the um, uh, the encore and the main bodyguard Prince playing um, 1999, I remember it well, um, and his main bodyguard came over and he started hanging around between the, the stage and, and the audience and, and I could see he was looking at me and I didn't really understand what was going on and then he talked to this Dutch show sec guy who looked really bemused and confused and came over and said, this man says Prince wants to meet you. Because <laughs> like, I did, obviously... I was in the stadium before 65,000 other people came in. So I was right in front of his microphone. I was like, hey, you know, (laughs) hello. Uh, Because you couldn't, even though I'd been in the stadium for two days, you couldn't get anywhere near him. You know, the one rule I had was don't get anywhere. Don't try to, you know, you you never saw him anyway. But this happened and this... And I actually, at that point, I I looked up at Prince who's playing funky riff on his guitar and he actually winked. Um, Shut uh, up. Shut up immediately. So I was just saying, I go, what the hell? You know, I was there to try and meet him, but I did not realise, you know, this was happening really fast. Oh, my God. He winked. Sorry, that's so... And, and so, yeah, I was ordered to go to this party and whatever. But that's when the, when the weird weird stuff started. I ended up sitting on a balcony and Prince was on the other side of the balcony, staring at me for, you know, most of the evening. And that was it. And I never met him. Um, and this turns out, if you look back, this is this was his way. He was always kind of toying. He was always toying with people. But from then on, um, I just traveling to all these shows because I knew everybody so people would give me passes hello grumpy cat um 
and I was just kind of hanging around as much as I could. And I, my plan was that he would notice me because I had a purple notebook that I was always writing in. And, and so I would intrigue him that way. And he would think, <laughs> he would think, who is that? I will want to meet him. She likes purple too. Too. She likes purple too. I was really clever about this. Um, and meanwhile, I got to know lots of people and they would tell me stories. And I was like, this is weird. I mean, I don't know. It, it was just thrilling to be around that world and, and mm. to be around him. And then eventually, really bizarrely, a month later, he was back in Holland. I very clearly, very uh, soon learned that he, I mean, I'm not 100% sure, but it seemed like he only ever talked to to girls from that country that he was in. It was really odd. Oh. Um, so really odd. He was navigating a lot of girls. Mm. Um, so I was back in Holland. I was sitting in a hotel lobby. Uh, what, were you, did, did you have a magazine? I was not masturbating with a magazine. I was sitting in his hotel lobby oh my with God. my purple notebook. Um, <laughs> writing in it, going, I'm in a hotel lobby. That's a different song. Yes. <laughs> it is a different song. Um, I was waiting for Michael, actually, because Michael, the drummer, because I was going to have dinner with him. And I was, you know, I'm here now. And Prince came out of the lift with his bodyguards. It was, it was midnight, I think. And uh, and he looked over and he smiled. And I'm like, what the hell? And the, and the funny thing is that diary, my, you can see when it happens because my handwriting just goes, oh, my fucking God, he hit me. And you can just literally see it happening, which is just, I love that. Um, and he went out. He got into his BMW. And then the bodyguard came back in and he said, do you want to you want to come with us? And I was just like, so this was it. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow yeah it was mad and I looked like shit we'd been <laughs> we'd been in this in this Belgian kind of dust bowl the whole day he'd done a show in Belgium and oh god and I, it had been 31 degrees and, and I you know of course I hadn't got dressed I did, didn't I was just walking around anyway does it have to happen now and, and, and yeah I got into his car <laughs> and you talk about the eyes but I was just all I could see was the eyes he was sitting there just looking really amused going and I was like just so I shook his hand and I introduced myself like a like a well brought up person. <laughs> oh God! And I didn't. I got. I, and actually, a friend of mine said you had no end game because actually, I'd always kind of planned how am I going to meet him? How am I going to meet him? Mm. How am I going to meet him? But I'd never thought of what I would mm. do if I met him because I couldn't quite conceive. I kind of knew it would happen, but I couldn't quite conceive that it would. That's good advice for life, right? Yeah actually think it through mm -mm. you know although in this situation in the back of his car I was like what am I doing here this is the weirdest thing and I had to just play it cool um uh, which was really hard because his opening gambit was are you sleeping with my drummer which is <gasps> like I'm not fucking sleeping with your drummer he's my friend you know <laughs> Like what am I gonna do with this? And it wasn't he. He was really amused the whole time. He's a very funny man, mm. and his thing is his way to get to know you is to throw you. He will always, and I, I learned that in in later years. He will throw you off your of mm. your balance. That way, he's in control. Yeah, you know, he's a bit of a control freak, and he's a weird. I mean, he's not like you and me. He really isn't. So 
he threw me straight away and I was on the back foot straight away and then I had to just say you know all my crew you know I know I know you know he he knew a lot mm. about me which was a bit terrifying uh but yet he was trying to scope me out and then he wouldn't believe it. and then I made the mistake actually I did, the, did this on purpose and this is going to sound really weird because I said to him no no I'm not sleeping with your drummer but we sleep in the same bed which we did uh that didn't help <laughs> I, don't, I can't imagine Prince ever top and tailing platonically. No. no. And so this became a whole discussion about about platonic friendship, which I'm very hot on. I've always had male friends mm. from from a very young age, and I've always, you know, I've never I've never seen a problem with that. It's, they're very important to me, my male mm. friends. So it was it kind of touched, it kind of irked me mm. in a way that it's almost like he knew. Um, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know where else we talked about, but it was it was funny and and he was funny, but he was just kind of being really suspicious. And I'm like, why do you want to talk to me if this is if this is what you're thinking of me? Mm. And we got to the end of the line, we got to a club, uh, and I'm like, oh, you know, we're going to a club. And he got out. Oh, uh, yeah. Was it like you have to bathe yourself in the waters of Lake? Absolutely. Well, yeah, I was waiting. Maybe he was going to throw me in the Amstel River at that point. Now he got out and he left. And then the bodyguard came back and he said, oh, we're going back to the hotel now. And so clearly I had been turned down or I had failed in my mission to impress him. I was being shipped back off to Michael and, and I cried um, <laughs> I know so that was it that year and actually the, the tour continued and there was still like looks and whatever I'm like what have I done I, you know well, what have I done you know probably maybe wasn't forthcoming enough or maybe I convinced him I hadn't been loyal to him <laughs> Do you, can I ask you because yes. you must have played this encounter over in your brain yeah. a billion times do you think when he said are you sleeping with my drummer? Do you think he wanted he wanted you to say no? But I would I will sleep with you. Yeah, and in later in, there were more encounters over the years mm. later because weirdly you know because you always thought this is the end, but he was I don't know he had a, mm. he was weird, um, <laughs> and somebody there was another one where there were all these kind of hints and whatever, and I was just blatantly going whatever. Um, and yeah, and people said to me, "Don't you understand what you should have said?" And I said, "Well, I." I was never going to do that. Mm. The thing with him, and I learned that really quickly before I got backstage, you know, I thought he, I imagined him a serial monogamist. Mm. He wasn't. He was never a monogamist. And with with (laughs) Prince, you could be, you could be, and this is a lyric of his as well, interestingly, you could be a concubine or a one night stand. It was one or the two. And I'm neither. I could never, Mm. I could never, ever have done that. And some of my school friends, actually on my school reunion two years ago, they said, you could have just for once, just put your principles aside. I mean, here you are, you finally got there and this is what you do. And I'm like, I can't, you know, and also you would have heard me. I was, I was so in love with that man. Mm. Don't say that out loud. Justin's here. Desperately in love with the man. So I, I just wanted to, you know, I just wanted to go to dinner or whatever. And I, I sensed very quickly that that was never going to happen. But I can imagine the other thing that he did was that with those looks, because I was saying to you the other yeah. day, wasn't I? Um, he just had huge eyes, and you were, and you said yes, and a big head on a, quite a small body. Yeah, he got bigger the mo- the further you went up. He just, whoa, he, yeah, he. 
but big I can head. imagine he would make you feel like you were the only person in the room. Oh god, yeah. He was just so and and he was what he seemed to be. This was not a man that you met and you thought, "Oh god, how disappointing." No, he was he was all that. Um he was just very impressive and very he was he was always prince, you mm. know. So there was always this kind of dream kind of although he could be really real and really irritating, but he was he was impressive and he always he always impressed me. So yeah, this went on for many years and you know, I had another night where he just sat next to me the whole night asking really weird questions and going through my wallet and um you know, he, he was he had a weird way of approaching but but I think he was quite a respectful he he was not a predatory right, you know, you might right, think yeah. so, but he was not a predatory man at all. And I think he if he was at all interested in a woman, he would just hover around it and he would he would wait for you to come to him, maybe. Um, so, so he liked the chase and he liked the game, but he yeah. would never br- br- breach those boundaries. No. Yeah. He was not like, hey, baby, you know, he, he would leave it up to you, Have I you guess. Have you ever been seduced him? <laughs> uh, no, I'm, I'm not very good at all of that anyway. No, I kind of make my own decisions. People, it's very hard to impress me. I either like you or don't. So yeah, like so, Shania Twain. Yeah. Um, I know you and I obviously share the common thing of finding Prince just unbelievably irresistible. Yeah. But um, I I wonder whether I had ever seen him in the flesh, whether I would have found him, whether it would have matched up, because I think a lot of people would think, isn't he very small? He's tiny, but you that's one of those people where you just don't, it just doesn't matter. It's weird when you mm. first see him and... and the funniest thing I ever saw was he was dancing on, on the dance floor with with Kylie and they're both very small mm. and they were pretty much the same size and that was a weird it was it was a dance of the of the tiny <laughs> <laughs> they were just so tiny together <laughs> uh, but that was a moment generally he, you just he just doesn't strike you as such you know mm. so he he remains there's some there's just something about him that's you know mm. some people just have something so yeah I'm sure I'm sure if, if you can't see that then he'll just be a very tiny man mm. but it never affects him do you know what I'm so glad because even though we have travelled together and we've had so much time I've never heard that story in completion because it's always been interrupted yeah so yeah. I'm really glad to have heard it in, in its entirety yeah but I never got anywhere but yeah, I'm just glad I had those moments and you know the best thing about all that was that I ended up at so many after shows and mm. and you know I saw so many amazing things you know um rehearsals and mm. and and oh Jesus so it, it was a much if, if you're a fan of somebody and mm. they're like that and you can see them you know in in those settings it, it's it was just it, it was the best thing I had the best time I think it's interesting about the end game thing because I um bringing it back to beauty weirdly I always had the dream of I want to be a beauty director mm-hmm. And I never was a beauty director on my title because that role didn't exist. It was beauty yeah. editor and that was the top. And I have never been a beauty director on a monthly magazine, which is what my dream was. Yeah. And I had to, not had to, but in a, at, a, at a time I had to sort of um, reassess and say, well, is this something I'm still going to continue to go after? Mm-hmm. Or has my dream changed? 
and it probably has changed mm. it probably has changed and interestingly when you when you say because I guess that was mine too but I was focused on that I had mm. an end game for mm. the for the beauty director role so I, I guess yeah you probably you probably did you know you as a freelance you could have pushed on until you got back on a job and then mm. pushed up but you decided there was something else that you that you rather wanted to do so but same with Prince yeah in that moment the chemistry the endorphins the hormones mm. could have fired off but actually when your friend says you didn't have an end game actually you did because actually well, you maybe, probably well, had a deeper connection with him right yeah and I couldn't I just couldn't deny myself I could have just gone hey baby but that would have not been me and it would have bro- it bloody would have broken my heart because I would have mm. been discarded so mm-hmm. you know I, I could not do that and it was quite clear because my whole my end the end game if I ever had one that actually happened I think it was literally a week after I met him he met Maite, who was his first wife, kind of in the same way. And the whole thing that I would have wanted happened. He actually pursued her for years in a very romantic way. Mm. Uh, so that thing was possible, but I could kind of tell that that wasn't going to be me. I wasn't going to mm. be that person. And without that, it just I couldn't. I could not. Um, so I took. I just took the music and I took the shows and I took the joy mm. because it's been a joy. I just. Oh, I still miss it. That's not there anymore. The thrills to see that man and you know in a tiny venue with two hundred other people. Uh, you know because that was the thing. As much as he did the stadiums and the arenas, he would do he every would city. Do, he would do the small yeah, show. Yeah, he was doing small shows and the, the chase of the show was exciting as well. At that time, we didn't have mobile phones mm. or internet. You had to literally scour the city. Um, you know, Jesus Christ, you had to work so hard. But, you know, and then, and then in the end, I was getting tickets. I could help everybody else know where mm. it was. So it was getting easier. But Jesus, those moments, because those are things that, that are, you know, not many people got there. And for him, he if he was completely free he wasn't doing a show that had to be rehearsed and he wasn't tied to certain you know to certain things you know when he to watch him completely Mm. free as an artist you know just do whatever he liked play whatever he liked um if he wanted to play piano for an hour in Mm. the background he would do that if he wanted to play covers he would do that and he would just watch this man and just the glorious Ahmed, our mutual friend, has yes. talked about seeing Prince at one of those gigs. And I think, he, I remember him saying to me, it's like he was channeling something. Yeah, it he was... literally would tap from somewhere else. Mm. He, he would tap from somewhere else. And like, like I say, he wasn't normal. He certainly, he, he was on a different plane, I think, emotionally, mentally. Um, I, he was, yeah, he, he wasn't like you and I. And you mm. didn't. And we talked about this. We were talking about. Brandon from mm, Desiem, um, and he reminded me of Prince in certain ways. These are people with a brain that's mm. not really like ours, you know, and they exist. They're just yeah. more evolved. Yeah. Um, and watching that was was a real, it was just a real thrill because there's so few people like that. So uh, I loved it. I loved every minute of it. <laughs> it was so good. <laughs> I've loved every minute of hearing the story because, like I said, I've heard, I've heard. Over the last nearly 20 years, I've heard snippets of it. It gets twisted in many ways, mm. yes. Especially when other people tell you the story. When other people tell you. And everybody assumes I was like a groupie, which which I can't imagine. I mean, how did I stay backstage for like years and years and years? People would let me in and give me passes. You know, you usually have to work for that. Well, that wasn't going to happen either. So so I found a way around it and, mm. and I did. But a lot of people don't believe me and they can. You know, I can imagine they don't oh, believe I, I distinctly remember somebody saying to me, Oh, oh, you knowing as mates with Prince, as if you were like, <laughs> yeah, you know, family friends. <laughs> yeah, 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 nah. 
But you'll no. grow up together. <laughs> and somebody, I wrote a story for for Cosmo when I uh, when he died, and and somebody slightly edited it and said, oh, she was part of Prince's crew, and I, I wasn't. I was just hanging around, and people believed I was part. Mm. Actually, some of my friends there just I met them because they said, oh, I thought you were working for. It. They they were part of the crew, mm. and they thought I was working for him because I was very good at making myself look really busy <laughs> busy with my purple notebook. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I, didn't, I had other notebooks and they're amazing literally every word that was said every moment mm. is in those books so it's, yeah, it's a thrill. do you remember it um, is it indelibly etched into your brain every moment yeah, of it yeah every moment of it and some of some of it I forget and that's in the notebooks but but it, yeah it just it it brought me so much joy mm. and it got me and I always say and it sounds ridiculous but I'm absolutely convinced I wouldn't have had the career I've had and I would have met Justin my husband uh, if it wasn't for all of that because it drove me I, w- I was obsessive and obsessive is not good it's quite destructive mm. and I've, I've seen that too but the energy and the focus that came from just trying to achieve just meeting him was such I mean that was impossible and mm. I did it mm. um, it kind of t- it did tell teach me that anything is possible if you work hard enough and and so I learned a certain persistence and a certain confidence from it that drove me you know to the to to aim for for bigger things that mm. I thought I would never never thought possible also it drove me to get a job at MTV because I genuinely thought that's another way to get to mm. you know to meet him you know I'll be yeah. professional in a in a creative industry and he'll go oh wow um so I pushed for that but to do that I had to do something I would never have done ever because I'm too embarrassed. I had to, there was a competition and I had to send in a video of myself, a competition to be a VJ for the weekend. Which meant video jockey. Video jockey, most embarrassing thing in the world. So I I filmed myself in the attic. Uh, You know, I literally had to press a button and then run around the camera and go, hi. So you should be good at Instagram. Yeah, and I'm shit, so that tells you something. Uh, And I sent the video over. I thought, I mean, how else am I going to get into MTV? And I won, you know, with three other people but I won the competition unfortunately it turned out that my future husband (laughs) was the one picking the winning videos and he went oh yeah she wins and I was like great I thought I'd been picked for my VJ skills and I actually have a you know I have a future in this industry but the reason I made that video which I was so against against anything I stood Mm. for it it so went against my grain because I wanted to get to MTV so I could meet Prince so that drove me there. So absolutely, it, it had something to do with him. He didn't have anything to do with it actively, obviously. Mm-hmm. But it pushed me in so many ways. Um, and it taught me so much about myself. So, yeah, I thank him for that. Thank you, Prince. Mm-hmm. Uh, it changed my life uh, a lot in a positive way. And I, I don't apologize for that. <laughs> if you ever do, I will bang your door down and tell you off, finger. No, I think it's, it's glorious. Thing. I think experience is one of the most wonderful, wonderful things. And you come from a very small village, yeah. as do I. And I sometimes feel like I missed out on experience because yeah. I just, I, you know, I li- and this is why I'm such a big fan of the movies because I lived through the movies mm-hmm. very much. So I feel like I, you know, I learned how to dance at a country retreat. Yeah. I remember that summer that there were vampires living in. <laughs> <laughs> like I really did live in movies. And so having an experience like that is just... 
Well, you can't buy it. It's just a completely... No, it exposes you to, to a whole different world. And that then opens... It opens mm. opportunities and possibilities, right? You have to... Mm. If you come from a small town, you have to kind of... You have to try and <laughs> reach out yeah. to the world. And that's... Unless you're inspired by something, that's not going to happen. And this was a... He was an inspiration for me to do stuff. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's been good. Well, you're an inspiration too. And I've oh. loved this conversation, Inga. Oh, bless you. Thank you so much. Obviously, listeners, the links to Inga and everything that we have discussed will be in the show notes. But honestly, it's been such a delight. Thank you. Oh, thanks, my love. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. I hope that you enjoyed that conversation with Inga and I. If you would like to get in touch with me, it's so, so easy. Email me at thebeautypodcast at gmail.com. I can't wait to hear from you. I love getting emails from all of you. Please don't be shy. If you would rather send me a DM on Instagram or Twitter, which I also adore, then please do go and find me. I am at Emma Guns. If you aren't following me already, it's where I share snippets of my day, maybe a few behind the scenes from the podcast recordings. And, you know, you might see a few cameos from some people who have been on the show before. If you want to chat to me and thousands of other listeners to this podcast, then please do join the Facebook group. The link to join is in the show notes, which is also where you can find all the links to Inga and everything that we discussed. Thank you so much for listening. I am so delighted to have spent this time with you and I really appreciate your time and support. I will see you on the next one.